0: VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly.
1: Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Thursday, October the 5th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producing the program. You'll be speaking with David when you give us a call to get in the queue and on the air. So if you're in the St. John's Metro region, the number to dial, 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOC. Which is 86-26. Won't get too deep into it, but the Jays out with a whimper. Boy, oh boy. I know they don't play the games on paper because if they did, the Jays would be in, probably in a position to win a World Series. Great-looking lineup, but boy, oh boy. Lots of big questions to be asked of the Jays, their management, and some of the players as they, you know lose the last four games and don't look like they were ever a threat to the Minnesota Twins. Lose 2-0, out. Anyway. Jubilee Cup, good start for the defending champions, the national champions, Holy Cross. They beat PEI yesterday 4-0. And on the Challenge Cup side, third ranked going into the National Challenge Cup tournament to the Thelians men's 0-0. Oh, pardon me, 0-0 versus Suburban FC, which is a team from Nova Scotia. You never know what's going to grab the attention or draw the ire of people when they look about what they're doing and their day-to-day behaviors and day-to-day shopping. Tim Horton's trading cards. (laughs) You know, look, fair enough. For some people... That's a real hobby to collect sports memorabilia, trading cards included. But apparently... The Tim Hortons trading cards are a dollar more expensive here than anywhere else in the country. Now, Tim Hortons will say that the prices vary from province to province, sure, but no real answer coming as to why such a difference in price. Now, is this the biggest deal in the world? No. Is it a concern for some? Absolutely. Overnight, and I guess because it was covered in the news media, got, I'm going to say, a dozen emails, people complaining about the hockey cards. (laughs) And if that's a concern you want to bring forward, hey, fair ball. We can talk about that today. And as you heard, Brian Medora in the VOCM Newscast uh, Dawson Mercer with another couple of points last night. Goal and assist. I've got the sneaking suspicion that Mercer's in for a massive year. Maybe that's cockeyed optimism, but looks like a big year ahead for young Mercer. We'll see what the rest of the Newfoundlanders and Labradorians do when the season, regular season begins, when it really the chips are down. All right, see in our uh, VOCM News and on the website, talk about new protocols from Hockey Canada. Now this, of course, Hockey Canada's been dogged by a bunch of different scandals, and they've got to change the culture of how we administer and deliver hockey programs across the country. It's our winter national sport. All right, so this all makes sense, right? So they're talking about a minimum attire rule. You have to show up at the dressing room with your base layer on and or a sports bra, whatever the case would be. If you're not wearing the base layer, you're asked to go to the bathroom, unused dressing room to dress what they call appropriately. Then there's a bunch of different things. When it comes to getting a shower, you're actually gonna have to wear a swimsuit. Now I get all of this and it all makes sense because you've got to make massive transitional and transformative changes inside the culture of hockey. Then there's two licensed and screened adults or trained and screen adults who have to be present in the dressing room or just outside with the door propped open just to make sure there's not that type of harassment and bullying and violence that sometimes happens not just in hockey. I always try to say this is not just hockey. Minor sports can be very problematic on these fronts. Now this year as well, other than a cell phone to use for music in the dressing room, no cell phones. That makes all the sense in the world. So no pictures being taken, no videos being taken. Again, new hockey Canada policies, which will be strictly enforced. Do you want to take it on? Let's go. So as you, once again you heard Mr. Mardor in the VOCM News, this is predictable. It happens this uh, around this time of year every year when diesel moves to the winter blend of 75% ultra-low sulfur kerosene and 25% low sulfur diesel, always comes with a price hike. In this case, the PUB jacked up the price of diesel by 5.3 cents per liter on the island. And in many parts of Labrador, the price was an increase of about 1.4 cents per liter. Gasoline down a couple of cents, almost three cents. But yeah, this is the predictable hike in the price of diesel when we move to the winter blend. All right. Spent a lot of time yesterday, not only here on the program live, but afterwards looking at the whole issue regarding the demand on the uh, electricity grid and where the generation is going to come from. It's not that long ago, Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro told us that they were investing some $527 million at Beta Spare to create an eighth generating unit. Okay, more money associated with the retrofit and the upkeep and the ongoing maintenance required at Holyrood, which doesn't seem like it's going away. Now, remember back to the early days of the Muskrat Falls conversation, and the concept was not only to avoid Quebec and connect with the mainland versus the maritime link, and yes, the so-called need for more power, which at that time was not really a thing. There was no increase re- requirement for power, certainly not to justify an 824 megawatt dam on the Churchill River, but now it looks like that demand is absolutely growing. So. If we simply look at the people who have chosen to take advantage of some of the government grants and subsidies, whether it be provincially or federally, to transition their home from home heating oils or fuels into alternative sources, mini splits and central heat pumps and the like, the growing popularity of electric vehicles, doesn't matter if you want one, but the world is thirsty for transitioning into those types of vehicles. For some people, it's about emissions. For others, it's about operating costs. Now you look at what is inevitably coming. Reading between the lines doesn't take a magnifying glass here to look like the provincial government is really serious in getting into the hydrogen business. This is not about, you know, okay. One can be supportive of or curious about one industry or another and still be asking the pertinent questions, and we have to. Mega projects have not been kind to this province necessarily, so asking questions does not make you a contrarian for the sake of. It's required that we ask the questions and hopefully get the answers. So... With the now newly understood knowledge about World Energy GH2, needing or asking for about 155 megawatts for their project alone, and remember, they're not the only project. They get all the attention, but there is going to be a demand on our system. We don't know how that's going to work. They're going to be required to pay for all the infrastructure, but that still doesn't answer the question about where the power is going to come from. So. It seems to me, and I don't have a crystal ball, but when we see negotiations about regulatory regimes for nearshore, offshore wind farms, and that's going to happen at some time in the future, and it really stands to reason that there's more work than we understand ongoing regarding Gull Island. It is. It feels like it should be required to demand for that type of energy. Hydro is a real go-to source, whether it be other parts of the country and or the New England or Northeastern, uh, Northeastern United States but we don't get told anything about it. So how these answers are going to be fulfilled, we don't know. If there's going to be green-lit projects by the end of this month with no firm understanding of where that additional requirement of power is going to come from, add to it. There is no question we're going to see an expansion in the mining industry. Again, only the democratic world on the face of the earth with every single critical mineral required for these transition projects, like electric vehicles, like your cell phone, like your laptop. Again, doesn't matter if you're interested in an EV. The popularity of it is growing globally, so there's going to be a need for those types of minerals, and they're going to require copious amounts of energy. So we've invited Jennifer Williams on, the CEO at Newfoundland Labrador Hydro. She's unavailable this week, but will make time for us, hopefully next week, so we can see what their evaluations look like. Because these issues are very, very real. Now, it is not bad economics to look down the road, see where the future lies, see the opportunities that might be right in front of us, including wind to hydrogen, and ammonia, including mining expansion, and including the transitions that is happening. But those offer massive questions with currently just conversations around evaluating potential for gen sets or additional diesel generated power or offshore wind or onshore wind or whatever the case may be but gave a lot of thought to power yesterday and energy yesterday i gave a lot of energy to energy yesterday but yeah it's good thing i mean these might be economic boom times possibly But we've got to get ahead of it. And at this moment in time, the most talk I hear about energy generation in this country is not necessarily here. I know that there's attention given to it. And the committee struck for 2041 and ongoing negotiations with the province of Quebec. But in Quebec, they're talking about very specific projects to add to Hydro-Quebec's portfolio, including Gull Island. And if you want to take it on, we can do it. One second, a sip of coffee. and we're back. And of course that will drive jobs. So there is going to be environmental concerns and they're legitimate and they're valuable questions, but there's also some economic upside that may indeed come with some of these projects in the offing, whether it be wind, mining, beta north, whatever the case may be. And then you've got to build homes for them. We can talk about housing and new housing starts what have you, but let's focus in this morning on what people are calling and referring to as evictions. Landlords have bought properties as a piece of equity and to make money. So be it. Housing is no longer a place to lay your head. Housing is a massive contribution to the national GDP. It's a business. Now, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, I'll leave it up to you. But the input cost for landlords has gone up, whether it be interest rates and everything else under the sun. So rent increases are inevitable. But we've got to get a grasp on just how quickly rents jack up. Look, there's good landlords, there's bad landlords, there's good tenants, and there's bad tenants. But legitimately, when supply and demand is the driving force in Economics 101, if a landlord knows that the appetite to rent their property is so massive that they could justify huge increases in the rent. So at this moment in time, in this province, the landlord has to give the tenant six months' notice before increasing the rent. You can evict the tenant with three months' notice and then raise the rent as you see fit uh, thereafter so there's still some concerns about not only controlling the rent but rent control and then vacancy control which i think is the biggest one rent control can help the current renter but not the future renter so let's say you go through the exercise of evicting a tenant with six months notice or three months notice and then you might do a little upgrade in the apartment that you're wanting to rent but you can increase the rent as you see fit based on supply and demand I get that concept, but at this moment in time, with tent city protests and the vacancy rates so tight, is it time to go down that road and have an evaluation of what that looks like when you you contrast that with the appetite for developers to build? Because that could be a problem. If they know that the profit margins are not available as they once were or currently are, then will we just hijack ourselves? You know, a self-inflicted wound by trying to protect the renting population but the inability possibly to get the private sector interested in building more and more homes, which absolutely has to be done. So there's a lot of real complexities associated with it, but that's why we talk about the complicated issues, because we've got to get to it. All right. Had an extremely interesting call yesterday from a lady talking about the fact that she's using psychedelic drugs to deal with her complex PTSD. You know, when we know the numbers of people suffering with a mental illness in this country are growing, it's not long ago we were saying one in five Canadians, now we're saying one in four. And PTSD absolutely is a complicated traumatic issue. I spent some time yesterday afternoon trying to find that report that I had read some time back when Debbie had called some weeks or months ago about psychiatric drugs, uh, psychedelic drugs and how they're being used and the research being done. Look, there's obviously a stigma associated with these things. If people are using Special K, ketamine for recreational purposes, to simply get high in the altered state of consciousness, there's a difference between that and a control setting with a licensed medical professional and a prescription to use these types of drugs to treat your mental illness. They're having some success. There's been lots of control studies done when they say, for instance, use a pharmaceutical uh, versus some of these psychedelic drugs and seeing no real difference in success rates and in some cases, absolute success beyond the pharmaceutical business. You know, when the country, and we saw the federal liberals decriminalize, or legalize, pardon me, cannabis products, there was a bit of an uproar. I know we're not really in the position as a country at this moment in time to talk about further decriminalization, what have you, but in controlled settings, should we not be looking at every opportunity or alternative to simply relying on the big pharma versus some of these types of drugs? Some of them are naturally occurring. You know, peyote, right? naturally occurring. Now, some of these are laboratory-created issues like MDMA and whatnot, and this is not promoting any unnecessary use of a drug. This is talking about whether or not Health Canada is doing enough to evaluate the potential to use what might be very helpful prescriptions versus the common uh, prescription currently offered by your pharmacist. Now, I don't know if we're going to get a pharmacist or the folks at the medication therapy clinic at Memorial University to chime in necessarily on this because... Much work is yet to be done, but the reports I read yesterday were fascinating. Some of them go all the way back to the 50s. Now, of course, people have been using these drugs forever and a day, but it was, generally speaking, in a recreational setting. And it does have some potential addictive properties. It does absolutely have some side effects, so like everything else, every pharmaceutical out there has some potential side effects and downside or addictive properties. But I was fascinated by Debbie's call. And I think it's probably worthy of more conversation and consideration. Now, I don't want to put Dr. Debbie Kelly or Dr. Kathy Balsam on the spot because it's not really their job or their ballywick to do that type of research, or at least I don't think it is. But I thought that was a fascinating conversation. And then I read a story today about the massive uptick in the number of adults being diagnosed with ADHD and the pharmaceuticals required for their symptom controls. So anyway, that might be of interest to you. If you want to take it on. Let's go. How are we doing on the telephone, David? I'm a little bit spun out and have a sore throat here this morning. Uh, Also, when we talk about access to doctors, one of the stories that I always thought was just ginned up for political reasons, remember when Mr. Crosby Chess was the leader of the PCs and doctor, pardon yes, doctor and premier Fury, who said he was going to continue to perform surgeries to keep his accreditation and his license active. Now, David Brazel, the current interim leader of the PCs, is walking back from that and saying, look... It's probably good for all of us if every doctor keeps their license active because uh, Andrew Fury will not be the premier forever. He's going to return to surgical procedures at some time in the future. Whenever that is, I don't know. But thankfully, I think the Tories have now seen the light a little bit here because this is not a bad thing. Being a part-time premier, here's some of the numbers that have been released by the premier's office. Okay. Uh, He worked five different periods between two and five days. Each period included at least one weekend day. Okay. He did, indeed, he did indeed bill for services, but every doctor who performs a surgery billed for service. He billed 68000 plus for the work he did, which included payments for being on call, 11000 plus in payments to cover insurance. He receives that, of course, on top of his salary, but I always thought that that was a confusing bit of unnecessary political banter when, in fact, we need doctors to be active and ready. All right. Once again, Mr. Mador, refer back to Brian, talking about an assault that happened at HMP yesterday. I spoke with a couple of guards over the last couple of days, and there's a, a, a staffing shortage, which has complicated a lot of things in the operations inside the penitentiary. It feels like a tinderbox. Fingers crossed, I'm absolutely wrong here. But when the stories advance from can't get outside, can't get a Zoom visit, missing some medical appointments possibly, and now apparently the visitation room is so overridden with black mold, no in-person visits. Add that to the flooding and to the rodents, and we have ourselves a huge problem. Again, I know, I know, I know. You don't necessarily care possibly about some of the inmates who are incarcerated for crimes committed and or simply around remand but the move towards a new prison is good for the community. It just is. The concept of them getting out and not being worse, whatever worse means, worse than when they went in, it's in our collective best interest. The stories coming from the pen are unbelievable. You wanna take it on, let's go. A Couple of quick ones, got an email this morning. about, apparently there's a distinct shortage in table salt. Is that something you're seeing? I can't remember the last time I bought a box of table salt, but apparently Windsor salt, a very popular brand, has been sold to an American company, and now, I'm told, there is a shortage right across the country. People are having a hard time finding salt, of all things. Last one, this is a bit of fun before we get to the break. Bravo to Lee Lee Stewart. He's from Conception Bay South. Lee has a big presence online. And, you know, we look back to things like the ice bucket challenge, raising awareness for ALS. And then the mannequin challenge. People are doing the old uh, planking exercise, which I can not too. I'm not physically fit enough to plank for very long. And now he put forward the concept of a Riff's department store challenge. There's 20 locations in the province. And so he started, and good for him, he pulled it off. Almost. So he visited all 18 Riff's locations on the island over the summer. He's going to wait till next summer to make his way to Labrador to visit the last two. And then he highlights a couple of the stores. So the one in Marystown and the one on Fogo Island. They sell furniture, refrigerators. And then he says the coolest one, probably St. Albans. So, good on Lee for starting it and actually following through. He and his girlfriend, Helen Mackey, that sounds pretty great to me. All right, we're on Twitter. That's not so great. We're VOCM Openline. Follow us there. Email address is com. When we come back, let's have a great show. Mary wants to talk about some issues in Riverhead. Oh, actually, the mayor of Riverhead, Sheila Lee, is also in the queue to talk about the fish plant, the economy, wind, whatever whatever you want to talk about, you can do it right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin this morning on line number three. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning to you.
2: Uh, Yes. um, uh, Thanks for for taking my call. Um, I'd like to support uh, um, Brenda Kitchen and the Southwest Alliance with their petition to put a pause on the Mega Wind project, Um, just for a closer review. um, The group is certainly not against uh, the project, but but they, they just think that it's going too fast. Um, and what is being done to mitigate some of the um, ill effects which uh, have been uh, uh, identified in in a number of uh, articles, and especially in the, I don't know if you have seen it or not, uh, the documentary Downwind, the wind farm documentary.
1: I have not. Out of curiosity, ma'am, are you calling from the west coast of the province by chance?
2: No, okay. I live here in St. John, okay. but those projects is, are going all over the province, you know.
1: Absolutely, I was just curious because of course Brenda represents the Southwest Alliance and she was wondering aloud whether or not some of the people surveyed by World Energy GH2, which they say gives them social license to proceed, but of course not very many of folks who were surveyed by that uh, proponent were actually living close by the Port of Port Peninsula. So I was just curious if you lived out there. What are some of your specific concerns? Where do you think some of the information is lacking?
2: Well, I haven't heard anything regarding and, and, and uh specifically I mean the health issues and there are there have been, I mean, issues identified now to the point where uh they call it the turbine syndrome. People who have been have been very, very sick. And uh I, I don't um I don't hear anything like that being addressed. Uh And like being, there's a certain distance that's required from those big turbines. Uh, and really, you know, it's, it's it's rather interesting that we have a health accord now that's being promoted by government and identifying all the determinants of health, and all of those uh, all of those things will be um, really affected by this big project. Uh, all the issues that the, that they consider as the determinants of health. So if government is really serious about implementing the health accord and the determinants of health, you would think that the Department of Health and government and especially, Parfrey uh, would uh, be addressing some of those issues that are concerns of the people.
3: I've
1: read a couple of studies about uh, wind turbines and effect on health. There was a very recent one from the University of Toronto. They say that they didn't find any direct links about health problems like uh, sleep disturbances, stress. Since 2003, there's been 25, best of my recollection, 25 peer-reviewed studies surrounding this. They did see some issues about potential mental health problems headaches pain those types of things uh, stiffness and what have you I don't know how that works with a wind turbine in close proximity to where you live or work and how it directly relates to that I'd have to go back and read the study again because that's been a while but I don't know if I've seen much in the way of peer-reviewed material that says health is going to be a massive concern I don't know enough about it to be honest with you oh. but I can't put it to people who do.
2: Yeah, well, well, that, the, well, the documentary downwind, um, that's really something to to look at. Uh, I mean, and and you have many different professionals, engineers, physicians, uh, that uh, that has input into into that survey. The not, not the survey, the documentary. It was done in in regards to the Great Lakes up around uh, Ontario. And it it certainly it, it was it's certainly an eye opener now. Um I, I and and at least at, at least address those issues. And and the thing is is that if they're not related to it, but if they are uh these people that were displaced because they were so sick. They're certainly thinking that it was, the, and, and the physician on the program, it's called a Turbine Syndrome.
1: Okay, I'll look at more of this potential uh, issue regarding wind projects. What I'm also, I suppose, is helpful for me to try to accomplish, is to look at places where wind has long been part of their energy landscape. And there's many examples where wind farms have been in play for a long, long time. You know, because we understand what it means to live close by, say, some mining projects and what have you, and tailings ponds and the like. But I will look around, whether it be Scotland or Germany, because the last time I was in Scotland. I mean, wind farms, as far as the eye. You can see turbines. So I'll look at what it's meant for people's individual health in places where they have experience with wind because we don't, right? That's some of the confusion here or the concerns people have is because we kind of know how forestry works. We kind of know how the oil industry works. You know what I mean. Yes. We kind of know yeah. how mining works, but we don't have any upfront personal information or understanding of wind. So I guess it's helpful for us to you know, uncover all of these issues and turn over every stone, ask the appropriate questions, which I'm happy to do.
2: Yeah, and but I think those bigger wind farms now, and like I said, I haven't done extensive um, research on it, but I don't think they're close to people, where where you know this is this is uh, this is one of the big issues is that uh, where the, where they're proposed to to go, um, it, it's fairly close to people and uh, I, I, I you know it, it would certainly it would certainly be good to have a list of reference uh, information that everybody can see and, um, and and be more comfortable because i i 'm I'm, I'm sure you know it's it 's green and all those good things but it, but at least mitigate um, you know as much as we can anything that any um, anything that would uh, be ill effects from it.
1: Sure, and in the world of energy, there's no such thing that's 100% green, right? Everything comes with some sort of cost, environmentally and health-wise, because if we're going to find these, these inf- pieces of information, out, which I'm happy to do, and I'm glad you brought it up this morning, we'll find out as much as we possibly can and talk about it on the show, and then I guess, out of necessity, Or for comparative purposes, we have to also consider the health impact of alternate forms of energy, whether that be in oil or coal or some of the mining sector or solar or whatever because that's part of this conversation as well because everything comes with an impact and not all impacts are created equal. So if we can get a better understanding of what some of the complexities and potential negative uh, impacts on our health might be with wind, how do they add up or juxtapose to other impacts on our health with other sources of energy? Because I think that's an important part of the conversation as well. How about you?
2: Oh, yes. And, and, and this is what this group is asking, to put a pause on and, and, and not to rush into it. So I, I, I hope government listens to them and, 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 and moves forward with healthy public policy. Which actually the health accord (laughs) suggests.
1: Certainly, and this is not out of bounds at all. This makes all the sense in the world to me. So what I suppose I should try to do is to get someone who knows way more about it than I do, because I don't propose or suggest that I have much information, but I have read some reports about wind impact on health, because we've had these types of conversations, you know, sparingly over time, but let's see if we can dig into it a little further, because people need the info to know what they're getting themselves into, and what the impact might be, whether it be on birds or moose or flora, fauna or their health, or whatever else under the sun, this is new to us, so we need to have as much information in front of us as possible, and I'll add this to the list.
2: this documentary um, has, uh, has a lot of information in it, and, and, and it certainly, it's certainly an eye-opener.
1: I'll search it out when I have a moment, but reading it seems to be my go-to pastime and the last couple of yeah. decades, but I'll have a look for it, and I appreciate your input this morning. Thank you. Take good care. All right, but uh, why? It's one of the facets of wind that we haven't discussed. Now, I did read a study from the University of Toronto, as much as I could absorb, because some of these things are very technical, and they did not draw direct links. And there was reference to 25 peer reviewed studies since 2003 about wind. I don't think I saw any that raised major red flags, but let's dig in a little further, because uh, the impact on our health is obviously important. Let's go to line number seven. Good morning, Daniel. You're on the air.
4: Hey, good morning, sir. How are you?
1: Not bad. How about you?
4: Uh, I just have a question for you, Mr. Dilly. Sure. Yeah, uh, Natives, uh, Indigenous people, Indians, whatever you want to call them, uh, they don't pay uh, GST or HST and stuff like that, but they get a rebate. Now, how come they get a rebate when they don't pay into that? Usually we have to pay in something, you know, to get a rebate.
1: So how come they don't pay? Well, you know, it's not unfair to use the word Indian because there's a legal meaning of Indian in the Indian Act specifically, and that's where all of these measures have been negotiated and legislated is inside that act. So GST or any HST does not apply, but only on First Nations lands. So if I'm an Indigenous person, I cannot pay GST in Con River, but if I come to St. John's to buy whatever, I'm paying GST. So my understanding is it's only controlled on First Nations lands, and that's all been part of legislation that has been in place for decades under the Indian Act.
4: Ah, I think you might be wrong there, because uh, you can go over buy over-the-counter medications and everything, not pay no taxes or anything like that, buy vehicles and stuff
1: like that. I can look it up, but there's such a thing called the First Nations Goods and Services Tax. Okay. Yeah, and that is controlled by the Indian Act. And that's my understanding, because remember the conversation we're having about application to have Halibut status, Uh and people were saying things like, well, I'll just go to Con River to buy my SUV, you know, those types of uh, references to being tax-exempt. So if I'm wrong, I'll correct myself. I'll have a look during the break, but I'm pretty sure, based on what I've understood in the past, that under the Indian Act, that... F-N-G-S-T is only on First Nations lands. But let me confirm that, and I'll say it live on the air when I find the information.
4: Okay, Mr. Gilly,
3: thank you for your time. I
1: appreciate yours, Daniel. All the best. Sure. Is that not the way it goes, Dave? Do you have a different understanding? Because the First Nations goods and Services tax, I'm pretty sure, is only on purchases on First Nations lands. I'll get that information as best as I can during this break. When we come back, Bob wants to talk about the economy. Take away. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's go to line number two. Bob, you're on the air.
4: Hey, yes. Uh, good morning. morning. <coughs> Patty, uh, when you raise the minimum wage and the cost of living, you haven't gained anything. Uh, Pardon me? You know, you've actually heard a lot of people who have an increased their income, right? It seems like what way they're tackling the economy these days is subsidize everybody, raise the minimum wage, and uh, uh, none of it works. What? <laughs>
1: More money in people's pocket doesn't help the economy? I mean, we oh. are the economy. Government's not the economy. We are.
4: Yeah, but uh, I'm trying to make a point, Patty, That. Uh, you know, you may get it after I'm finished uh, or not. But,
1: we'll see. Go ahead.
4: But, uh, you know, when you go in that direction, I guess you got to agree that the economy is is crazy you know, It's out of control. And that people are, everyone is suffering because everything has gone up. And, and uh, you know, the interest rates are raised. The bank had to raise the interest rates. So we're into a whole vicious circle and a spiral, and and the sub. Well, I'm talking about the subsidies might help some people, but it don't uh, solve the problem.
1: What's an example of a subsidy you think that's problematic?
4: Well, six hundred dollars for oil bills, and I mean even if they do help that particular thing, they're not helping the whole economy, and not not everybody's getting a subsidy or. You take, for instance, uh, if you're on a pension, I mean, I've been on a pension and it hasn't changed in the last twenty five years. I'm still in good shape and everything, But now all of a sudden it's threatened the of the minimum wage has gone up, all the price of everything has gone up, groceries have gone up, and my uh, pension is not going to go up. Accordingly. So do you see the point on making, Petty? Yeah,
1: some senior supports are indexed with the Consumer Price Index, but I get it. I think there's a real need to have a careful look at, now. look, the CPP, the fund is strong. There's lots of money in the fund. You know, to try to understand how pensions need to be increased reflective of CPI makes all the sense in the world to me. Because Same as me, right? As I'm not a senior. I don't get a pension. But my purchasing power is way down. My salary hasn't changed, but my ability to stretch a dollar has absolutely changed for the worse.
4: Yeah, so, Paddy, I'm going to try to zero in on the problem. I think what the problem is is raising the carbon uh, imposing a carbon tax and a clean fuel tax on top of all the other gas tax and the GST and the HST. And that's what got the economy uh, uh, gone crazy. And what is being done is to discourage the production of oil. Right. All this, the, the carbon tax is designed for that, and the clean fuel tax. And Pluto is on this kick to try to, I know it's not a kick, it's a serious thing, to try to correct, uh, you know, to try to curb the oil production.
1: It's trying to curb emissions, period, yeah.
4: And this, and in the process, he drove the economy right out of whack, right gone crazy. Now, the bank got no choice. The bank haven't got any control over oil production. Or in, when the economy gets like that, they got to raise the raised, uh, interest rate to try to discourage it.
1: No, the, the interest rate is directly related to inflation, not necessarily the economy. And the economy is not dead in the water, as many people refer to here. Uh, but you know, when people talk about oil and discouraging oil and killing the industry and what have you, it doesn't necessarily jive with the reality that oil companies are experiencing. Last year, record production, record revenue, record profit. It's hard to see that as a death spiral.
4: Yeah, there you go. That's, uh, that's the irony of it. <clears throat> so, I mean, uh, Newfoundland, they could solve the problem if Equinor was approved or encouraged. Uh, or, I don't know if Trudeau discouraged uh, Equinor or if it was cost. So I suspect because Trudeau is on that uh, trend. So but, I, I'm suspecting that Trudeau discouraged him and asked him to postpone it for three years.
1: What, what, you think that a a, a a company from another country, a Norwegian oil giant, cares what Justin Trudeau thinks? I mean, they gave the federal government gave the green light to them why would trudeau have any control over whether or not equinor is willing or wanting to go out and produce something that's been green lit
4: well uh, that's the suspicion i got It sound very much like the three-year delay we had to get approved in the earlier days
1: the most recent comments coming from equinor are saying they are quite bullish on going out and producing the oil at beta nord
4: yeah that's why it was surprising that they were bullish right from the beginning it's one of the biggest oil wells, and maybe they were being coy all along, but you could get the impression that they wanted to go ahead, and then all of a sudden they make a three-year delayed, yeah. you know, and they're going out drilling now to just show that they're still interest still around.
1: So they're just spending that money for for lark for a
4: lark. They're spending that money now to show that they're gonna. They are gonna proceed when the when the time comes. Whoever whoever causes the delay, them or others. But getting down to oil, see Patty, there's certain people think a certain way. It's like the group that's following Trump and uh, and the religious group, and they got their own way of thinking. And that applies to the oil, because what comes down what it is about the oil is is fairness. There's not more oil, it's is producing oil the same as someone else, getting, getting fair treatment. And, uh, and people don't think like that. I mean, if a woman goes in a job and after a while she finds out that someone in the same job is making a lot more money and doing the same work, and she tries to get a fair, everyone agrees with her, trying to get a fair wage. But can't they apply that thinking to oil? It's not producing more, not a lot of oil being produced in the world. And Newfoundland never got a chance to, they were just discouraged every which way. They had to give so many concessions to get the oil on board. They had so many delays. They were never allowed to really get on their way and get any, any benefit from the oil. That's the impression I get. Uh, I, I mean,
1: oil is a global issue. I think sometimes we put on our narrow focus lens and say, well, how about this province? How about this province? The fact of the matter is oil is manipulated by the big oil producing countries. I mean, look no further in Saudi Arabia. What they're doing now, a curbing production, just try to jack up the price to bucks a barrel, you know, and that has implications with interest rates here and in the United States and some of the countries that they love to pretend they like, but they absolutely do detest. So when we talk about oil, it's a global market. It's a global thirst. It's a Global commodity; it's a volatile commodity, and every jurisdiction is doing what they can to bring the next project to where they live, whether it be in West Africa or in the United States or in Canada or in Sweden or in Denmark or in Germany or in Russia. I mean, that's that's the way the global commodities work, right? We only have so many pressure points that we can push.
4: Yeah, but I think. Uh, well, what do you think, uh, Pluto? Putting on carbon tax? Should that encourage an oil here in this uh, uh, country?
1: Again. The oil producer, for starters, the oil we produce here we don't consume here. Number one. Number two, the oil companies aren't even opposed to the carbon tax. Look no further than the oil companies that are operating in the in the oil in the oil sands in Alberta. The problem with the carbon tax, if we're calling it a problem, is that I'm paying it. They're not paying it. The big, the most, the biggest polluters in the country are not paying their fair share of any carbon tax that's been imposed. So I don't think the oil companies care a whole lot because if they produce it, they've got a market to sell it at this moment in time. Now, will that market peak? out in whatever, 2030, 2040, I don't know, but the demand for oil is still there, carbon tax or otherwise, because we don't even consume the oil or use the oil produced on our offshore in this province, and maybe not even in this country, period, so I don't think carbon tax has an implication on that.
4: Well, I heard Daniel Schmidt uh, said her name to uh, the Premier of Alberta. Uh-huh. I heard her talk uh, saying that she, uh, they can't do away with the tar sands. She said they got to have some backup or natural gas. And, and she was having that conversation. So why was she having that is there someone, you know, who was saying that she should do away with the tar sands? What was going on? I just pick up all those little news bites and wonder about them. I the thinking-
1: investment in the tar sands has been decreasing long before Justin Trudeau ever had his hands on the rudder. Uh, Daniel Smith, I think some of that is straight up just playing politics with the whole issue. I mean, the economy is driven in large part by fossil fuels in the province of Alberta. Interestingly, or notably, the impact on G- uh, GDP in this country regarding fossil fuels is 5%. In provinces like Alberta, it's closer to 27%. So that's why they talk about oil all the time in Alberta, because they're oil-reliant.
4: Yep. P- P- Penny, I think if you reverse the whole situation, don't know where, now this is my opinion, and, I, and I'm pretty sure of it. If you reverse, the, if you took off the uh, carbon tax, took off the clean fuel tax... Uh, we're we're taxed at in this problem, and now these two additional taxes coincides with the state where the mess were in, and it caused the uh, the bank to to raise interest rates. We're on that spiral, and we're trying to correct it all with subsidies and and uh, I don't know a little gift tax and everything, but. You got the reverse it. You just got to uh, start going down, uh, eliminating all those taxes, and then the bank will respond. And then we'll be back. We never only had about a half percent interest rate for the last 40 or 50 years. No. And now, now no, one's, uh, uh, right. no one is safe now. Everybody's under stress. This was on your program this morning. Uh, And I think as all this uh, carbon tax and clean fuel tax and bank increase is all caused, you know, by the federal government.
1: Uh, I appreciate the time, Bob. Thanks for the call. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. The implication of free or near free money, it felt good, right? It was the gold rush. And what happened? As a result, people took on debt that are now being serviced by 5% benchmark interest here at the Bank of Canada. None of us get that benchmark right we all pay more interest and the free money where we are now in the country record high debt levels every dollar 80 every dollar coming in the door on average for canadians we're spending a dollar 86 to service it so the free money it felt great but not that not so much now at five percent and again nobody gets five percent right we're all paying more than that let's take a break when we come back time for you don't go away Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one. Good morning, Mary. You're on the air.
5: Good morning, Patty. Good morning, to you. This is Mary Comfort. You're talking to me before? Yes,
1: ma'am.
5: Uh, still, when we had that rainstorm here in Riverhead, uh-huh. like where it used to be the frog pond, it came down. Rocks came all over the road, mm-hmm. and my home care worker couldn't get over here. So she sent the video to my daughter, Diana, and she texted to my son. Trent was walking over in Whitburn or somewhere over that way.
3: Okay.
5: And him and my grandson came over to get me. And here, half of the house was gone. My dining room and my front room, just everything was gone out of it. And no, Nobody let me know. Well, I couldn't get out anyway because I got to walk. I'm you know, after hunting my back so many times now. Just they, they wanted to see me at the hospital.
1: <laughs> so what, when the road got uh, covered up with rocks and stuff because of the rainstorm, did oh, it take it was lo-
5: down here, too. The, my, the river between my place and used to be my sister and I, that was full. Well, I was from 9 to 8, some of the rocks side of the river and that. But the wood was across the front of the garage. And if the wood wasn't there, the garage would have been gone. And I would be gone too. So, like... Yeah,
1: I I think I know where you are in Riverhead. I can picture it in my mind's eye. So when the road got covered up because of the rainstorm, did it take long for it to get cleared up?
6: Well,
5: well, my daughter and I, she takes my son over in Whitburn, and him and his son came over, and the water was right up to my ramp. And I didn't notice, because I'm out in the back of the house, So, like, front room and the dining room was nothing to, had to take the whole floor up. Okay. So, so he had, he came over and picked me up and brought me at my daughter's. And, uh, you know me, I want to be in my own house because I got my rent. Yep. And they were trying to get me to stay out there, but I wouldn't. So, I came back and... They were, I think he took the workers from Whitburn and brought them over here to do the work here for me. Uh, it took my, think, two, two or three weeks before they got it done. And I mustn't lie out my room. <laughs> 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 they had size and everything going. They cut up the floor, old floor and put new seals in and everything.
1: So are you all squared away now, Mary?
5: Yes, they got it fixed. But it was a horrible day. When I see when I see them up to my ramp, because that's the only way I can get out. But I don't go out because I'm after around so often, hurting my back. Because I fell the twenty fifth of February and hurted my back and my son picked me up because I don't he said, I can't get in I said break in the front door <laughs> well
1: I'm glad you got sorted out at the end of it all Mary anything else you want to tell me this morning
5: yes I, huh. like talking about like the Beatles and stuff you know like I only have home care for five hours a day from nine to two and like I'm here then from two 9 o'clock next day by myself
1: okay and are you doing okay when you're by yourself are you lonely or are you doing okay
5: I well I'm shagged now because one of the brakes are gone on my walker and I I went out going out to the bathroom the other day I went the wheelies on two wheels (laughs) (laughs) because there were the brakes down it be careful yeah I'm trying to be and, like, trying to make groceries and stuff. Well, well, I have to get somebody to bring mine. Like, uh, find somebody to bring mine, because I can't go out, because...
1: Where do you get the shopping done? Do they go into Steve Ryan's place?
5: Mm, no, I, I... My daughter used... I used to eat the bulk stuff and splits it up. Okay. But, like, I never did it get anything from Steve Ryan's.
1: Okay. No. Mary, I'm gonna sneak in another call, but you take good care of yourself and be careful with the walker. Easy on the wheelies.
5: <laughs> Until I get some fixed.
1: <laughs> Until you get it fixed. Let me know if I can help. I okay, Mary. Stay okay. in touch. Take care. Okay. Bye. All right, bye bye. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to line number six. Michael, you're on the air.
0: Hello. Hello. Hi. Michael, well, finally on my way home back to Las Vegas after a very interesting week in your beautiful province there. And I've been calling radio talk shows since I was 14 years old in 1978, and it's the first time one's ever called me. (laughs) Oh, we called you back
1: to get a recap. We spoke, last time we spoke, you were regaling us with what you were up to and wondering if a a family would like to take you in for a get to know you stay. And I don't know if that happened or not. So you're on your way back to Sin City. Give us a call's note recap of your visit. Things that you really liked or things you'd like to comment on. Go ahead.
0: Well, it was a beautiful view out there at Cape Spear. I had to take a taxi out there because I'm thinking, eh, tour bus, that's a little much and this and that. And um, had a couple nice meals and some nice restaurants and delicious beer. That uh, iceberg beer, I'd say, is my favorite one. I hope I can find a six-pack over here in Nova Scotia where I am now waiting for tomorrow's bus in North Sydney because today's bus is full, so I get to explore this town for a day. My biggest disappointment, if you want to call it, I never saw a Newfoundland dog. Like, they don't exist. They're like a rumor. I mean, I've seen pictures of them, videos, beautiful dogs. Nobody has one anymore. There's a person who brings brings their Newfoundland dog up Signal Hill all the time. Yeah, I didn't go up to Signal Hill. I wish I had. You know, I saw the St. John the Baptist Cathedral and all this other cool stuff and enjoyed your, your pub district. And I'm like, where are the Newfoundland dogs? Nobody, you know, I, I heard one, well, this nice lady named Tracy at your uh, province tourism office. She answers the phones there and she says, well, one reason people don't have much anymore is they just don't live that long. So you you get this wonderful dog and then he dies after age seven or eight and you're all heartbroken. And that's maybe one reason they're not as popular as they once were. And they're massive. uh, I mean,
1: it's a big animal to have in the house and take care of. Between the slobber and the cost, uh, you know, I wouldn't want one. They're beautiful to look at, and I do appreciate (laughs) the Newfoundland dog, but it wouldn't be for me.
0: Better feel about in the country, but uh, I'll say if I was going to give a Google review to your province, I would say four and a half stars because it's so dang expensive getting there. But what are you going to do? It's a long way away, 4,000 miles away from home, uh-huh. halfway, more than halfway to Europe from where I started. And, uh, you know. I don't know if I'll ever be out this way again. Who, who, who can say? But, uh, you know, fly over you on the way to Europe someday. I hope to do that. And I'll look down. Hey, there's Newfoundland, beautiful province. I wish I'd had time for a side trip to uh, Morne National Park, just based on the pictures and all that. Ah, oh, that would blow your mind.
1: Well, I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. it. Four and a half stars out of five. That's not bad. We'll take that review. Uh, some Maybe there's a possibility that we just kind of shield uh, the Newfoundland dogs away from people from Las Vegas. That
0: could be it. <laughs> There you go. Maybe not.
1: Michael, well, are you a gambler? Do you work in the, that industry in Vegas?
0: I bet on sports once in a while, and yeah, once in a while enough. I'll put a few mo- dollars in a slot machine, but not nothing much. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah, I like living there. I- I'm sorry it's so dang expensive once you're there. The uh, hotels are just milking people for every nickel and dime they can get out of them. Ain't that the truth. So uh, wait, wait for the next recession, then the prices will go down. When they were trying to bounce back
1: from the pandemic, a bunch of my buddies went on the cheap. They had some awesome deals to travel to Vegas.
0: It was, yeah. Once we were trying to get everybody to, like, overcome fear and come back three years ago, it's like, okay, make everything cheap for a while. That didn't last too long. But (laughs) another advice, if you're going to go there, pick a time when there's no big convention anywhere on the calendar. That keeps the rates lower. If you go when there's a big convention, you're going to pay way too much. And uh, I guess, from what I can understand, the big source of wealth for your island economy is oil and gas. Lately, like you got offshore rigs and things like that. Yeah, oil. And a lot of green backs into the uh, local. So I, I see some wealth. I see a lot of nice cars and some nice houses looking around the city and all that. So it's uh, you know not at all like the old films I would see on National Geographic forty, fifty years ago. You know, poor folks scratching out a living on the rocky coast, making a living fishing and farming and stuff like that. It's, it's a lot more cosmopolitan than I expected.
1: Well, many parts of the province uh-huh. are exactly that. You know, reliant on uh, mm-hmm. things still like the Fisher, which is a billion-dollar industry, and there's still plenty of that yeah. activity here in the province. There is plenty of money in St. John's. That, that's undoubtedly true. Uh, but, Michael, I'm, I'm glad you called this morning. I'm glad you enjoyed the holiday. Safe travels back to Vegas.
0: Well, thank you very much. I, I'll be listening to you guys occasionally on, uh, on Simple Radio app. Like you would. Appreciate That's a, that. that. That's a good way to listen to you online. So, all righty. Good talking to you, sir. Take care, Michael. Okay, all right. Bye-bye. Here we go. Michael, Vegas.
1: Good trip. Four and a half stars out of five. Not bad. Let's take a break for the news. When we come back. Plenty of time for you. Don't go away. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic,
0: and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM
1: mornings. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number five. Good morning, Diane. You're on the air.
7: Good morning, Patty. I'd like to uh, pass my condolence on to the family of Michelle. uh, God, young...
1: Michelle Young, okay.
7: She passed away Monday.
1: Who's Michelle home. to
3: you?
7: She was my home care worker. Okay. And on Friday, we were sitting down, you know how women are discussing, oh my this, oh my that. And she was wondering if she should go to Emerge. And I said, yeah, I said, maybe you should. She said, well, I went there twice before about this and they sent me home. So I don't know if she went to emerge after she left my house or over the weekend. But if she did, she was sent home again. And the provincial government said several times about setting aside money for women's health. I think what they need to do is investigate more when women go with the same complaint.
1: Diane, just forgive me, but what exactly was the complaint?
7: She felt like her blood pressure was high and everything inside of her was shaking. Okay. So, that that was her symptoms. I don't know what that would be. But in the meantime, like in my case, I've been going to her doctors for 40 years. And it's only last week I was told I have 10 blockages and because of my lungs, they can't operate. Now those 10 blockages didn't come up overnight. But when I would go to a heart doctor, they'd give me a stress test, EKG, nothing is wrong at home. And I'm waiting now to see another heart doctor. He won't be able to do anything for me if they can't operate. But my point being is, one time I went into the health science, they told me take two aspirins and go see my doctor in the morning. My doctor had sent me there because he wasn't allowed to order whatever test he thought would show what my problem was. But instead of doing that test, they sent me home. Take two aspirins and go see your doctor tomorrow. And you
1: feel that was inappropriate as well?
7: Well, if your doctor told you, I suspect what the problem is, but I am not qualified to write for, I don't know what they're not qualified for. I'm gonna say CT you're not qualified to write for a CT, you leave here now, go over to emergency, and they'll be able to do the CT. I left his office, I went over to emergency, waited my duty for seven or eight hours, was told by a doctor, take two aspirants and go see your family doctor tomorrow. Okay. So something is wrong with the system, for sure.
1: I don't think there's a solid argument against your point. I mean, the system isn't working as it's intended to, that's for
7: sure. I don't think it works at all. Okay. I am grateful for Andrew Fury changing the um, emergency thing at St. Clair's. Now you go down there, you, they check in, then you're called up to give your information. Then you call inside and they do any blood work or EKGs they need to do. Then you come back outside and sit and wait for a doctor. That is an improvement over going down there and waiting seven or eight hours before they do anything. So I hope more changes like that are down the line fair
1: enough i mean i think it's a uh, consensus that it's not necessarily working the way it should the way it's intended to work hopefully some of the work being done here regarding the health accord and some other changes that are in the offing are going to make it better for people i think once people get in the system they get top quality treatment uh from top quality healthcare professionals but the trick is the wait times and you know the anxiety with trying to get into the churn that is healthcare. i hope you're doing okay are you diane
7: no, they can't do anything for me. I'll just do walking along one of these days in the very near future and drop dead. I hope not. <laughs> so do I. Maybe they come up with a miracle cure. Yeah. But anyway, it's just disgusting that the doctors pass off the women like they, they're, they're bad nerves. It's all in your mind.
1: I can only and imagine we suggest the stress. And
7: the women to fight the doctors. Tell them, no, I am not leaving here. Till you tell me what's wrong with me. That's the only way, that's your only hope.
1: I hope you're doing okay, Diane, and stay in touch. I will. Thank okay. you. Take good care of yourself. Okay, bye bye. Uh let's go to line number three. Good morning, Simeon. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Morning to you.
8: Yes, uh I just wanna make a comment on the um the, the shelter that's been, been on my mind for quite a long time now uh, since, uh, since uh, it was announced on the media. And uh, I am very really concerned as, uh, as a Labrador citizen and resident. Uh, and I have seen uh, what uh, what our people are going through with their addiction, substance uh, abuse. And I am really concerned about it because... Uh, the reason why I am concerned about it because we have lost... Uh, lost two women um, found outside the uh, the buildings in Goose Bay. And plus, there's so much uh, racism that's been been going on for many, many years in Goose Bay. mean, the
1: the women that were found, that was outside the emergency shelter that's in fact a hotel. Is that what we're talking about? Okay.
8: Yeah, that's one. And there's another one there uh, back in in February, I believe 2020, um, there was another woman that was found outside of us. She was my cousin. And they were back in July, uh, a young lady, she was my goddaughter, uh, she was been missing ever since uh, June 15, uh, 2021, but later um, they discovered a body outside Goose Bay, uh, uh Goose Bay area in July 2021, and she was dead. But anyway, we—I am very concerned about it because I think uh, Goose Bay uh, Mayor, whoever's or the Minister of Finance, Health Minister, probably, uh, probably uh, trying to uh, monopolize uh, our people's addictions, and I think it, it is pretty pretty much true what I'm saying because they are—they they have done it. With our with our you know, children back, back in the days, and been, they they call our children, you know, children as uh, revenues. Uh, mortgage payments and and that's uh, very hurtful and it's very disheartening and frustrating
1: I'm not 100% sure what you mean by that but I saw your email this morning Simeon and yeah. right off the bat it says in Over Labrador, Labrador and possible north coast communities including some residents will join us I think it says in dismay and against building a $40 million shelter in Happy Valley Goose Bay the shelter is not needed why is it not needed?
8: Because it's not needed. Because I think, uh, what the shelter is going to do for the people who have addictions? Like, if you have cancer uh, and it's not being touched, or it's not being treated. Chances are you're going to die, right? Pretty much. And uh, and and if you don't treat the addiction, then chances are you're going to you're going to die from it. Because I know I had a son uh, in July who passed away from from his alcohol abuse, uh, from outside our our, our hometown. Or our residence here in Shahadik in that was in July. And uh he, he had a chronic addiction with with alcohol he abused alcohol. And uh, and he, he, he didn't treat it I mean I we encouraged him to uh, to seek some help and therapeutic treatment. Eventually he, he, he drank himself to death. And and, and thus I, I believe my uh, my ultimate my ultimatum is uh is to uh, probably think about building a therapeutic treatment in Labrador, because uh, it, it, there's no there's no uh, adult treatment here in in in, in our area, the Labrador region, and I'm pretty sure there's 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 a, a few in probably on on the island, and uh, I have Google some information about it, and I think we need one here. In uh, Goose Bay, uh, so we can tackle the uh, the addictions and addictions and solvent uh, chemical abuse or substance abuse or drug abuse has been killing our people, and uh, I mean we have lost so many people to drinking, to suicides, and um, and drugs, so. I am very concerned the numbers that, that we've been very our young people, not only and also, share uh, because there's a lot of mental health addictions, mental health issues that need, have not been addressed, and we don't have a psychologist psychologist in Labrador, and and, uh, and that's a shame uh, to join with with the province, and when there is a lot of uh, a lot of social problems and addictions that's been. Uh, Overco- uh, overcoming to our to our communities, and and it's it's something that needs to be done. I believe, and and my belief is the only way we're going to be able to fix the problems, or not fix them, and probably deal with them, visit them, within a therapeutic uh, setting. And forty million dollars is a waste. It was going to be a waste of money. And Goose Bay residents, they're gonna monopolize uh, monopolize this uh, and and generate the revenue for from our people and use them as, as scapegoats. And and that that is not the answer and uh, and I'm gonna warn uh, the Premier and also the, the health minister and Goose Premier mayor right after the general election is called in uh in Naroshish, uh, which I'm gonna be running and hopefully I'll be successful And then I'll take a drastic measures and I'll attack I'll, I'll, I'll Voices Bay, I'll attack Moscow Falls, I'll even go as far as where they're not going to be able to handle uh, handle the Inuit uh, the, you know, people because. It, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's killing people.
1: Emergency shelters should come with direct points of contact for whether it be job training or literacy programs, mental health supports, addiction supports. That should be part of the emergency shelter because there's very likely some of those issues are, are leading to reasons why people need an emergency shelter. Uh, Simeon, I appreciate the time. Take care. Anything else very quickly before I have to go?
8: No, no. I just need to correct you there. I, I, I don't think that we don't need training. We don't need a mental health training with uh, with that shelter, we, we need let's build with the treatment center first. Then we can talk about training. Then we can talk about those. Right now, it's, uh, we're misleading people, and then against with that shelter, I think they should build okay. uh, a therapy the treatment center, and then we can wait about those trainings uh, after.
1: I appreciate the time, sir. Uh, you know, in
8: you know, those you know, you know, cultural sensitivity and in the cultural sensitivity, because there's only two groups here, which two groups in all. So we need to train our own people to deal with our own people not responsible people to to deal with
1: it. Thank you. And my my yeah. comment was a general one about emergency shelters. If there's a reason why uh, people find themselves needing emergency shelter, we should have direct points of contact to deal with those issues. Well, and it's not necessarily Labrador specific, if it's job training or literacy programs or addiction services or mental health supports, whatever. That was what I was getting at. Not that yeah, what you need. That, I'm not telling you what you need. Yeah. I was just yeah, that was yeah, a yeah, general I, comment. Yes, and
8: that's really a really wise comment and it applies to non aboriginal people but your comments but by my comments, I'm um, referring to my uh, comments to the Eno people and the Inuit people. And uh, it's not going to help uh, if some outsider try to deal with our people because they simply don't understand the Inu language and the culture, the values, beliefs we have within. We are very different people. We are Inu although we speak English. And if I start speaking Inu, none of them, none of you guys will understand me anyway. So... So I think uh, the Inuit people have to deal with the Inuit Inu people in a way that they know best, and I think the Treatment Centre will be very viable and very uh, successful one because we have a lot of addictions here and a lot of problems with uh, with uh, with alcohol abuse and drug abuse, and, and that's you we know, need to tackle that. And I think uh, Premier, well, I'll be back in your uh, Confederation Building and if something is not happening, and I have I know Bruce Bay residents are. A few ladies are supporting the idea of building a therapeutic treatment center. uh, They're not supporting building a shelter. It's it's just going to bring more chaos, more deaths. And that's it. Thank you.
1: Thanks, uh, Samin. Take care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye. Before we get to the break, Dave wants me to take a call on line number four. Caller, you're on the air.
9: Hi. Hi. I was just wondering if you could help me. I heard that you had on that line there the other day after the show. Uh, I wanted to find out the email for any help for oil, anybody using oil. And also there's one there for teeth and eyes help for low come seniors.
1: Right. Well, the the general and the best email to use for all of these types of concerns, whether it be access to the dental health plan or what have you, yes. the, the generic email, which I use all the time, is uh, health info. Right now. Health or health? Health. H E A L T H. Okay. Health info.
9: Info, yeah. At. S. G O V. G O V.
1: Dot N L.
9: Dot N L. Dot C A. Dot C A. And what about the one for the repaid for the oil or. It's uh, pretty good, using oil, seniors low income.
1: Yeah, let's see if I can find that. I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, da, 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 da. God, I can't even spell it today. Da, bum, bum. Here we go. The Home Heating Supplement Program. Let's see here what we got. Uh, da, ba, da, ba, da. So contact info there is another easy email address. It's oil Oil. supplement, supplement at S- gov.nl.ca gov.ca No, G-O-V dot N-L.
9: O-D-O, okay, N-L dot C-A. Yeah,
1: same as the last one regarding health info, yeah.
9: Okay. Well, thank you very much, madam
1: My pleasure. Take and you your- have a great day. You too.
9: And you're doing a great job.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Riverhead again, the mayor of Riverhead is Sheila Lee She wants to talk about the fish plant. Lindy's in the queue to talk about wind energy, and then we're talking about whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Just a response to some calls Dave is getting and emails that I'm getting, and this is about the GST HST credit payment dates for the 2022 tax year. You got one on July the 5th if you're eligible, and yes, it's October the 5th. Today you're supposed to get your GST. Then is January 5, April 5. Then questions people might be confused in the carbon tax rebate or the Climate Active Incentive payment. The dates for those are not the 5th; they're on the 15th. So you will the they come out in. April 15th, July 15th, October 15th, and January 15th. If the 15th falls on a Saturday or a Sunday, or on a stat holiday, the payment will be made at the last business day before the 15th. So there are the dates. Let's go to line number seven. Good morning, Sheila Lee, you're on the air.
10: Yes, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Yes. Um, Patty, um, I'm um, I'm calling now regarding the fish plant in St. Mary's. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I just I just had to respond. I guess if you realise for where, where people have been talking about it the past couple of weeks, so the situation now in Saint Mary's is critical really. Um the uh, the past two days I've listened to your open line and I've listened to Mr. Loderon and of course he specifically referred to St Mary's. Um I, I, I just wanted to raise a few things here. Number one, I want everyone to remember and realize that situations situation in St Mary's is unique. St Mary's did have a, a crab fish license way back. And for unfortunate reasons, um, the, the, the license was taken. And, of course, I think it happened twice and it was returned. Now we have a situation where things are totally different. We have a state of the art plant we have seen uh, its its start up and uh, and operation over a very a very stressful season really where everything started so late and uh, and uh, you know to see the, the activity and to see the work and to see the the economic spin offs and everything and the wonderful hope that has come to our region because of this plant i mean people were wondering of course you know is this going to really work you know there was so much work had to be done down there and they ironed out all the little little bogs and getting off the ground in the first year it was hard because they had to start so late and they had tremendous tremendous people worked tremendous hours but they did it the worry now is that if they don't lift that cap we should not have had that cap uh, for the number, for the for the amount of of uh, crab that can be processed there, if they refuse to leave that cap, all the wonderful things that we see for our region is going to go down the tube really fast. Like for the first time now in a number of years, the population in our school is growing. But here in Riverhead alone, two new families have moved in permanently, all all because of this plant. Many people were looking and wondering about coming, but, of course, they were hesitant because they didn't know how it was going to work. Now they saw how it was going to work and how fabulous it is. And we have more people saying, well, I'm moving back, I'm moving home. Because uh, the the plant owners are hoping, you know, to be able to have that plant operating for, for most of the year. Uh, when they get into other species and, and, and when that cap gets lifted and if we look at you know the the uh, the, the population that's, that this uh, that this plant was serving right from way down the shore way right up to north harbour and beyond and other communities um, we brought they brought a lot of people now mr loder referred to the mexicans i want to tell mr Loader something These Mexicans came and they are the most beautiful people you could ever find on the face of the earth. They could teach us a lot. They were so grateful, so pleasant, so loving and caring. And many of them want to come back and and they really seriously want to relocate here. Just imagine, what a success story to be able to grow our population. I've known for years that if we don't do this, our little communities cannot exist. We are, we are an, aging, an aging group. But these people brought such new life and such vibrancy. I looked at the people in our own community that went to work there. He mentioned the number of Mexicans, but there was also well over 100 of our own local people worked there. And there'll be more come. And I looked at what I I did for them. like the mental health aspect of it, when people are home most of the year and not able, not working, it's not good for your mental health, and my God, there was so much positivity, there was so much life, there was so much joy, so much happiness, and the economic spin-offs, I mean, it was incredible, so I would like, and then of course, you know, we look at a situation where there's so much fish that's been trucked out of the region that should be trucked to that plant. And and of course last year there was dumping there was dumping, uh, you know, and spoilage and all that kind of stuff, which which of course should not have happened. And they may say it was because of the late season. Some of it might be, but in the meantime, there must have been an, a great a great amount of crab out there because look, just about every one of them got their quota in such a short period of time. So I'd like to see this year. I'd like to see the, the quota the quota increased. And I'd like for them I know they can't go they can't go giving licenses to plants all over the place. But I would like for them to consider Samaria's situation and to consider that they did have a license there way, way back before some of the ones have it now. And we got it back, which is wonderful. But it's not going to be much good to us if we don't get that cap lifted.
1: Fair enough. Uh, and not only have we spoke with Mr Loader from ASP, but we've invited the fisheries minister on because my understanding is there was no cap directly attached to the renewal of license for that uh, plant in St. Mary's so this was imposed by the province we we don't know why we've invited the minister on I don't know if that's going to happen tomorrow but we've got the invite out there and that's at the very top of my list needing to understand about competition in the market and you know whether it be foreign ownership or otherwise and why no cap for one plant yet a cap for another now St. Mary's got lucky that there was excess crab that couldn't be processed at other plants trucked in so that they I think they went through some 4 million pounds but we've got that invite into the minister we'll try to have my asap
10: well that's wonderful Patty, and um, you know because even though now I have stepped back from being the mayor and everything and I am trying to take care of my health i uh, I, my, I, I will always be a community activist that will fight for our whole region and I think we have good we have good argument here and i our member of course have worked tirelessly on our behalf and i'm hoping that our premier and and, and the beneficiaries minister will have a real hard look at this, and I hope that the the uh, like people like Mr. Lode or that group there will you know will realise what we're trying to say. We're not saying that it should be all kinds of new licences issued, but we think that Mr. Mary's got what it is, what it, it was rightfully theirs back, and that that cap, that cap should has to go. And my God, can you imagine if the cap goes and that plant down there probably could process maybe eleven or twelve or more million pounds of crab? Can you just envision what we could have happening here?
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. And every local will want as much as they can get. Regarding whether it's snow crab or any other species, when you know the issue is very quickly going to become the total allowable catch is what it is, it's a matter of equity and fairness, you know. Because if we have a better understanding of why a cap, because there's only so much crab to spread around now, there was lots of it left in the water, most of that was because of the long delay, the six week standoff before we even got going at the crab. Then there was a problem with water temperatures and all the rest. So there's a lot of moving parts of the snow crab conversation, but we will have the minister on before I go to the break, Sheila how are you?
10: I'm, um, I'm making some progress. You know, I'm making some progress, and I'd like to take the opportunity now to, to thank uh, you know, to so so many people that sent me beautiful messages and cards and are praying for me. And um, I, I like to, uh, I like to wish, wish our new council now all the luck in the world. And even though I can, won't be out in front, you know, when I'm feeling well enough, I'm always there to lend a hand.
1: I'm sure you are Sheila yeah. I wish you nothing but the best
10: Thank you honey very much and open line is the way for us to be able to communicate to everybody and you are you're do and you're, continue to do a wonderful job
1: I appreciate the kind words you take care of yourself and stay in touch Sheila
10: Okay darling All thank right.
1: you You're welcome bye bye uh, You want me to take another one here Dave I didn't quite hear you Okay fair enough Let's go to line four Lindy you're on the air And we'll have Lindy turn down his radio in the background so he doesn't shag it up Lindy you're on the air I guess we'll wait for the time delay to kick in Where Lindy has heard in the background and his radio that he is now in the queue Lindy, you're on the air Dave, I'm putting him on hold Okay, there we go Lindy, you're on hold When we come back, hopefully Lindy has heard his name uttered on the radio, we'll be prepared to go Let's take a break, when we come back Wind energy, don't go away
11: Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to NL at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let
1: us try again. Line number three, Lindy, you're on the air.
12: Good morning, Patty. Good morning. Let's give it another try. <laughs> last, It was
1: the last attempt to, Lindy.
12: Say again? I said that was
1: the last chance I was giving you.
12: <laughs> yeah, I agree with you 100%. Right now, What's
1: on well, sign your mind?
12: Uh, uh, now, gener- uh, generating electricity, uh-huh. what's the difference in water generation and wind generation?
1: One uses water, one uses wind.
12: And, but it's the same power, isn't it?
1: Well, I'm not sure what that question means. So when it comes out the other end, power is power, but the difference is how it's generated. I'm not trying to be saucy, but I'm not sh- 100% sure I understand the question.
12: Because the lady I heard on there talking about and all the negative this negatively with with the wind power generation generated electricity, I don't I don't see what it's all about.
1: Well, you know, sometimes it's about where you live too, right? Like if you're living in St. John's. I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but when, let's say Musgrave Falls, the big concern I would imagine in this neck of the woods was how much I'm gonna to have to pay. If you live close by the Churchill River, your, your concern is probably environmental. So I guess that's kind of driving some of these uh, issues. Plus the caller we had earlier, she didn't necessarily say that people on the southwest coast and members of the alliance or her are 100% opposed to it, but they've got questions that they haven't heard answers to. So that's kind of how I took it, and I think that's kind of human nature speaking because we don't have up-close, personal, intimate understanding of wind because we've never used it here. You know what I mean, wind energy. The wind's blowing the head off you every day, but we we haven't seen it. We haven't been uh, uh, exposed to it, so the questions, I think, are pretty much human nature, to be honest.
12: Yeah, because uh, 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 as far as I'm I can concerned I've been out in Alberta, and, and uh, as far as I can see, half the power generated in Alberta is wind power.
1: Well, they do indeed have wind. And according
12: uh, to what they're saying there right now, with the with the uh, no rain and all this stuff, and the, the lowest time they've ever seen the rivers, that they're going to be using more wind
3: power.
1: Alberta uses a ton of natural gas too. Um, Yeah, I mean uh, the sources of power will change. I think there's still some questions about how viable it will be in the long term. I mean, hydrogen will be used. There's no question about it. Natural gas will be a big part of, big component of the energy portfolio. Wind will, solar will, and yes, hydro will. But still, going to be some reliance on fossil fuels, oil. Hopefully, people get away from coal because that's the absolute worst thing on the face of the earth for generating power. But I don't dispute the questions they have. The economic upside is real. So. Let's just say I'm living in Stevenville. My neighbor might have all the questions about health and the environment and birds and moose and berry picking and all the rest. And the next door neighbor might say, I can't wait for it to come because I could sure use a job. So I guess where you stand depends on where you sit.
12: Okay. I was talking to a skipper in St. John's when I was in there. Uh-huh. And he installs the uh, uh, electric, uh, what do you call it, you know, uh, for heat. Right,
1: heat pumps or mini
12: splits or stuff yeah 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 and he was telling me he said he said if i was you he said you got oil i said yes i got oil and he said will you keep your oil because he said ten five five years down the road the guys that are on, now on, on uh, electric heat whatever wind power heat or whatever are going to get a bad freight with the price of electricity and that was the guy that installs it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, nor do I have a crystal ball once again, but I tell you what, at this moment in time, the mini-split has already paid me back. The one we put in, paid back for sure. Now, I'm on oil too, right? But I've, right. I've also installed a mini-split. I find it just terrific. It's a quick blast of heat without having to turn up the heat in the entire house. It cools the house right. in the summertime. Whatever I paid for it is paid off already. And I've only had it for a few years, and it's already paid for itself. Okay. With energy savings. Okay. It's terrific.
12: You wouldn't mind giving me some figures, would you? Or would you?
1: What do you mean? I've saved enough over the installation of about a $3,000 no, no, unit. No, no.
12: Yeah, on, on, the, on the cost of the uh, mini splits and the, and the, gener- the uh, installation, what did it cost you?
1: Well, I did a full renovation, so... <laughs> I don't know. I'm certainly not going to tell you how much I spent on renovating my house, but we upgraded everything.
3: No, no,
1: no. We upgraded windows and insulation, uh, and we put in the mini-split at the same time as we updated the kitchen, which hadn't been done since the 1970s. So... The mini-split cost, if I remember correctly, around $3,000. And my wife is the bill payer in the house, but we do check the power bills because, I mean, that was one of the issues that we thought when we talked about getting one. Is You know, I'd ask people, including those who install them, those who have them, how much they've saved on their energy bills uh, compared to the cost of the installation. And we are about three years down the road, and we estimate that we've recovered the entire $3,000 in savings on our bill.
12: Okay, but that was, that was just for the mini-splits, that wasn't for the installation.
1: Yeah, the mini-split and install, well, I mean, we did it all at one time, so I can't remember exactly what the right. installation bill was, but it wasn't extraordinary. It was, you know, had a bunch of subcontractors doing different things. So, yeah, right. we think we've made our money back on it.
12: Very good. Yeah. No, I've tried out here. I've tried contractor after contractor after contractor out here on the West Coast, and the lowest I could get is around 70,000 so bucks.
1: That's for a central heat pump. Uh, that's for the, the two mini
12: splits
1: well for starters for starters there's huge pockets of money out there for rebates from the government for installation exactly. of central heat pumps and the uh, mini splits and that yep. I, I didn't avail of it because it wasn't a thing when I did it so I didn't get that bit of money uh, but there's there's lots of money out there for people to make these types of moves if they're so inclined, between the Canada Greener Homes grant and the new $157 million worth of funding here in the province. So if people are interested now, seems to be the time, if you're so inclined now, people can do whatever the hell they like. Stay on the oil or invest in a heat pump or put it in a mini-split or whatever they want, but there are pockets of money out there.
12: I will guarantee, sir. Yep. that's $17,000 federal uh, uh, forgivable grant to change over to heat pumps, whatever. There's so one I that a, I was talking to. talking to an installer. He wanted, He wanted that seventeen thousand dollars to install. That's that's now that's for a, a electric furnace.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about different things. There's no mini splits yeah, that cost he seventeen thousand dollars.
12: Four thousand bucks on top of that.
1: Okay. Well, that's what you're finding out. But we're talking about different things. An electric furnace yeah. is not a central heat pump, which is not a mini split. They're all three different things.
12: Exactly, sir. All well, electric furnaces is a lot better. You can hook that right into your oil furnace, eh? You just switch it over, that's all.
1: Sure. Uh, anything else this morning, Mindy?
12: No, that's it, sir. Appreciate for me the time. For today. Take your care. Well, let's, let's try next time, see if we can get on when we get off. <laughs> Lindy,
1: let, do me a favor. When you call next time, you hold that yes. phone tight to your ear, waiting for me to call yes. your name.
12: Sure. All right. Okay, talk to you later. Take
1: care, Lindy. All the best. (laughs) Bye-bye. Let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, Jillian is in the queue. She has an update, and I mentioned uh, this gentleman off the top of the show, Lee Stewart. He came up with and was proposing a challenge to visit all 20 RIFs locations in the province. He hit 18 of them this summer. That's all the locations on the island. He's not not yet made it to Labrador for the other two. Lee Stewart and the RIFs Challenge right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Uh, Let's get an update from Jillian on one. Jillian you're on the air Jillian
13: calling, hi yes. hi I'm uh, I'm calling you today from St. John's I'm originally from Goose Bay I had called you uh January past about um some some advice about what to do because uh, I was denied help from a neurosurgeon about my deteriorating um physical health um and uh, at that time, that was September 20, 22nd. He stated he couldn't help me, and there would be no follow-up. Um, now, uh, I had had an MRI done six months prior to, and I had to wait six months to see him. So in that six months, I was still deteriorating. I was having blackouts since uh, 2021 with no explanation why. But uh, they would lead to accidents, falls and whatnot, and I would never know when that they were about to happen. But... Anyway, um by um December uh twenty twenty two I was deemed by the federal government disabled but without benefits due to child rearing and being in school because as I was deteriorating I knew I couldn't work um a physical labor job but I wanted to not lose the ability to work in, in the with uh, disabled people like myself. So um Anyway, um, I took a fall, a major fall, in January of 2023. Uh, that's like when I had called you. Um, and I had knew I had injured my neck and spine further. And when I called the same neurosurgeon that I've seen in September past that denied me help, um, I was shocked when the secretary said I was discharged as his patient. So then, like that's how hence the reason why I called your line because i for advice and what to do, so immediately gave me good advice, I acted on it um like as in uh making sure I documented everything in case uh, i something else further deteriorated, and I couldn't you know speak for myself and what not so i I did what I had to do, and then um, I contacted an advanced uh professional medical doctor in St John's. Um, Who said to go straight to a chiropractor in uh, my hometown, Happy Valley, Goose Bay. I was completely shocked. Uh, He seen me immediately within a week. uh, I was completely shocked by the medical MRI report uh, from March of 2022 um, that the neurosurgeon never informed us about. Um, And in uh, Goose Bay, when... After hearing all that, uh, I contacted Goose Bay, and they appointed me a doctor, a different doctor, and they sent a new referral to a spine ortho in January uh, 2023. However, I have had um, two minor falls but a major fall. On September tenth due to blackout, where I was admitted into Health Labrador Corporation on September tenth um, from a major blackout um, but this one was a doozy. I fell down some tile stairs in my house um, and a injury on top of injury. Um, my son had to pick me up because I had no use of the left side of my body He literally. Carried me to and from the car and to the hospital, and so like drove me there and then carried me in, put put me in a wheelchair, and there I was kept and told I was going to be uh, admitted, and then reports would be done for a neurologist.
1: And so, where and, are we now?
13: We're right now. I'm in St. John's.
1: And where are you, in so far as your uh, health concerns or condition?
13: not good Um, I sustained a seizure while I was in the hospital not related to the fall that I know of because I only ever had a seizure one time before now when I um, this was from a kidney, undiagnosed uh, kidney infection where I had uh, abnormally large stones obstructed, which made my body couldn't handle it, and I went into shock and resulted a seizure. Okay,
1: so uh, before we go so, too far, do you have appointments? Or are you in, uh, dealing with a specialist? What's next?
13: How I got out here, I'm going to tell you... Um, I was in the hospital for seventeen days getting sicker and sicker but not related I felt to the accident. I knew I couldn't even though all the physio I couldn't regain that side, the use of that side. But there was an infection left undiagnosed. If they would just done a simple test it would have been detected and I probably wouldn't have went as far as what I had to and ended up out uh, you know, having to come out here further. Um, I came out here on my own means on the twenty seventh because prior to this accident I had. Um, I'm back and forth here every. Uh, well, ever since uh, I survived a pituitary tumor in uh, 2021, uh, with the help of um, a medical professional out here, I'm going to leave unnamed. I had to uh, go on open line in order to uh, achieve that. Um, so, I thank you for that. Um, but anyway, um, since that, I've had a myriad of problems, and these is just a quote from the medical professional, uh, which resulted in. Uh, uh, being a pre-op for bowel surgery, uh, which resulted in a woman's surgery being done afterwards, which resulted in many things because there were so many things found wrong with me, despite all the other significant injuries to the spine and neck. Well, anyway, um, I just had my MRI done two nights ago. Um, I'd okay. seen the endocrinologist um, about uh, the three-year the three waitlist uh, uh, triage I needed from three years, so I've got some good things tested for there to rule out, but um, I was concerned about being homeless um, because of where I can't, OT in Goose Bay uh, re- deem my house not safe to return to until there was uh, modifications for wheelchair, like ramps and railings, and there's so many stairs, it was three, uh, three okay. stories. Okay,
1: so wh- where but, are you but, living?
13: Uh, I'm in St. John's right now in the hostel.
1: You're still in the hospital.
13: Because they told me um, when I got to Health Science Center, Goose Bay, I have it on recording, told me that because my concerns is that when I got it to St. John's, I was going to be homeless, like because of where I can't return to my home and there's nobody like what will happen to me when all the tests are done. They assured me that they will keep me in uh, St. John's and do all the testings needed. I'll see the neurologist, I'll get the MRI and I'll get to the endocrinologist and I'll get all these things put together and the pain clinic. Well, that didn't happen. When I went to St. John's, um, uh, of course, they're in a bad situation here with lack of beds. And uh, like you would, I mean, I was understandable to this, uh, respected what I was being told. Um, However, um, I had to explain to them what was being told to me and how it was causing me great stress. Like not only do I have significant injury, but I'm totally dependent now that I'm in a wheelchair and I have a caregiver appointed by social services. I'm in a place where I couldn't stay. I was only admitted there for like 24 hours till they determined the internal infection. Okay. Goose Bay was not able to, and they gave me the appropriate medication and then sent me, uh, rushed my MRI to like two days after, uh, the next day, I believe. So I have nothing but great respect for for the people out here and everything they've done. Um, it's just a matter of that Goose Bay didn't honor their, their word, and it's in recording that I would not be homeless and that if they couldn't accommodate me in St. John's because I questioned them. Because okay. there was some things happening well, wrong in Goose Bay. Well,
1: hopefully you're getting the help you need now. If you're in the hospital, hopefully this is all going to, to well, be attended to. I'm in to. the
13: hostel, unfortunately. Oh, the now. hostel.
1: Okay. Yes, I had so, to be tra-
13: I had to be. Uh, I was released you. from health science. I'm sorry, but then I had to come here due to like you know lack of funds, and I still didn't have medical tests done yet. So, you go ahead, Patty. I'm sorry. I just had to. Get that part out.
1: Okay, well, I'm, hopefully, you're getting the help you need. I am going to get to the news, but also, someone while yeah. we're talking says that the neurologist that this person is uh, dealing with, they say that neurology has 4,000 people on the wait list, which oh, is understand. truly amazing number. Uh, Jillian, hope you're well. I'll give you another couple of seconds to wrap it up.
13: Sure. I just basically want Goose Bay to understand that they need to honor their word, and as I'm finishing up my testings here, Uh, I have it in their words that they will not kick me out on the street and that I'll be able to be released into the hospital there until my home is ready for uh, the home modifications because this is already sent in immediately as urgent through the MHA and through um, the other departments. So I'm just hoping that uh, as things queue up here, I have somewhere to go because as of two days ago, they told me that no, I was discharged and that um, they don't hold rooms.
1: I hope you don't find yourself on the street. I hope you get the I medical so help too. you need. And I'm off to the newscast, but uh, you stay in appreciate touch and you. be well.
13: I appreciate you. Everything leads to good things after I go on your show. I appreciate you. Take good care. Be well.
1: You too. Okay.
13: Thank you. All right. Bye bye.
1: All right. Uh, appreciate the patience of those in the queue. Lee Stewart, the Riffs Challenge man, is in the queue, and Terry Kennedy's got an issue with the municipality. Which one? We'll wait and see. do
0: away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Lee, you're on the air.
11: Hi. Good morning, Patty. Welcome uh, to the show. I heard, oh, thank you. I heard your name drop <laughs> Helen and I this morning in your preamble. So I, did. I decided to call in and talk about the Riff Challenge.
1: I think it's an awesome story, personally. First off, let's start from the beginning. How was the Riffs Challenge born?
11: Well, the Rift Challenge started back in June, so I just randomly posted a map with all the locations of the Rift stores on the island and in Labrador, and I got a lot of interest. Uh, I posted it on the Staycations NL Facebook page, and it got a lot of interest. And people started tagging their friends, and it just, and then it got picked up by local media outlets, and it actually that's where it became the Rift Challenge. I think it's great. So to your knowledge, did anyone else take up the challenge? Yes. There was a guy in Grand Falls, Windsor, who was interviewed, and he said he was going to take it on. So that kind of spurred me on. Uh, My original plan was to do it over three years, uh, but that kind of accelerated my plan uh, once he started doing it.
1: So you visited all 18 RIFs locations, and apparently they're not all created equal. They all have the same discount flair, but some stores are much, lar- much larger and with different offerings. What did you find when you visited all the rifts?
11: Well, some of them I couldn't get into because they were closed. It actually took me three trips across the island to see all 18. Uh, between the t- 17th and the 23rd, I actually hit 11 of them. So uh, there was a lot of driving that week
1: no doubt there was so the two that uh, stood out the news story I read anyway marys Town and Fogo Island how are they different than the others
11: well they actually sell furniture in addition to clothing and footwear uh, so they sell refrigerators and couches
1: I think it's pretty great so what role did Helen play would it be, whether it be you know accompanying you on your trip or the creation of the swag or how did that relationship work with the first Challenge
11: yes she joined me Uh, so she was actually the one that designed the Riffs t-shirt and hat so that added a a little more interest for for me because I'm the only one doing the Riffs challenge that actually has a Riffs t-shirt and hat
1: (laughs) (laughs) so what's your commitment to making sure you hit the last two in Labrador
11: oh that's on the time frame next summer. So look out for Toe and Goose Bay. Uh, I'm heading your way.
1: I think it's pretty cool. And, you know, in addition to what is a fun bit of, you know, visiting all the rifts, it's a chance to see parts of the province I'm sure you never saw before.
11: Yes. I started doing staycations across the province in 2019, and this is actually where I first encountered the rifts stores. And so that's... They became interesting to me then, and I did a bit of research and found all the locations and I said to Helen one day I said "I'm going to visit all those rift stores that's <laughs> a great way it is a great way to see the province i've I've explored almost every nook and cranny of this province, and there's a lot of cool things to see and do in this province.
1: Give us a couple of communities that stood out for you when you visited
11: uh Harbor Breton is uh, pretty cool. Uh, th- part of it is on land, but then part of it is there's a little island offshore, and there's a bridge that goes across. Uh, I thought that was kind of neat.
1: Yeah, a little causeway. Harbor Breton's beautiful. Hard to get to. It's a long way down, but it's pr- it it's is. worth it when you get there.
11: Oh, absolutely, it is. Yeah, beautiful views absolutely Lee, the Twillingate and Fogo are, are great as well
1: oh yeah no question once again a little bit difficult to get to a little out of the way but the travel is completely worth it Twillingate is spectacular Fogo Island is a brilliant place no doubt about it oh they truly totally are Lee totally I'm are. glad you did it it's a great source of travel information and a bit of entertainment I have to say I get a real kick out of the story uh, thanks for joining us this morning say hello uh, say, pardon me say hello to Helen Force.
11: Sure thing. Just one last thing. Sure. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out to Helen for designing the T-shirts and hat. I also want to give a shout-out to Alice from Riffs. They actually contacted me. They're going to send me some swag and a gift card. So I'll be heading to Clarenville (laughs) in the near future to spend that. (laughs) I think it's great. Hey,
1: a little bonus for what you are taking on. I'm sure it's free advertising for them, so that can only be helpful to their bottom line. Good to have you on the show, Lee. Thanks a lot.
11: Thanks, Patty. Have a great day.
1: You too, buddy. Bye now. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's keep going. That's pretty great. Uh, line number four. Terry, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Best kind. How about you? Not bad. Not bad.
8: Thank
14: you for taking me, Carl. Uh-huh. Um, I was hoping that you could assist or advise me uh, on a difficult situation myself and my partner are having with the town of Portugal Cove St. Phillips. Okay uh basically the issue is i'm having an issue with uh, the neighbor that uh, lives next door to me there's been issues with uh, fencing uh uh road reservations and stuff like that. the latest thing that went on was uh the neighbor tried to plant a tree in front of my house in the road reservation of the town I called the RNC on this to try to get so When the RNC officer came up, he asked me who owned the land. I told him it was town land, but he said, but there's not really a lot he said I can do. He said, you know, he said, well, it was your land, he said. But he said, i had to get some type of instruction from the town. He said, I can go and talk to the resident. And um, he said, if he refuses to talk to me, he said, that's, you know, that's all I can do, right? So, anyway, he talked to the resident and everything that. So, what I t- decided to do was attend the council meeting on August the 8th. Uh, before this, I've talked to the town on a couple of matters. Like I said, the resident in front of my house uh, has dammed the ditch. He's done work in the ditch and left a mess. Uh, you know, he's thrown garbage in the ditch and all this. And like I said, this is not my land. This is town land. Like I said, this is like the world reservation in front of my property. Mm-hmm. So on August 8th, I attended the council meeting, and I asked uh, the Worship then, you know, I explained the situation to her, what was going on. So she said, uh, basically, she said, you call me tomorrow, and uh, we'll have a talk about it. So I gave it a couple of days, and I called, and basically we had a meeting on August 10th. I had the mayor with the, with the, with the mayor and the worker that I was dealing with uh, with the town. Uh, so we had I, we had a discussion and I told her what was going on and everything and what was being done I uh, told her that uh, the town employee was up and talked to the resident but it don't seem to do any good he continues to do what he's going to do
1: what's the purpose so, of blocking the ditch what is exactly is he doing I can understand the garbage bit but what, what do you mean by he's blocking the ditch
14: basically like in front of him he, he, I don't know why he's reasoning he put, he's putting a dam up in the ditch for what reason I don't know he used to be trout in the ditch at one time and I don't know. He was trying to, you know, keep him there, or whatever the case may be. I, you know, I really don't know. And the town hasn't given me any indication why he's damned to this. They just told him. Matter of fact, uh, last week they came up and spoke to him and said, "Boy, these rocks are going to be removed because we are going to be doing some ditching in the area." All right. Uh so basically so I had a, a meeting and like a, uh when I spoke to the mayor I told her that you know I mean that the town resident has already been speaking to this resident but it seems to do no good. So at that time uh the mayor said to me this is not allowed and basically we will send a letter out to the resident and uh, you will get a copy of it. So a couple of days passed I never got the I never got the letter so I emailed uh, to the, the employee I was talking to, he he emailed me back on the seventeenth and said that uh, no letter was going to be sent now uh, that the resident was in, and they had a chat to him. and that was you know that was the end of it. So I emailed back on the on the same day and uh, on the seventeenth and explained to the town town employee and I issued it to the mayor and also to all the councillors, and explained that you know the, you know was told that basically talking to this resident does no good and why the letter wasn't sent out and explained to me what was said to the residents. Never got no response back from the town. So I had to contact a couple of councillors to uh, uh, try to get a response back from the town. So on September the 5th, I got an email back uh, from the from um, uh, the uh, Chief Administrative Officer, Never, not answering none of my questions, just basically telling me that, you know, we received your uh, inquiry on the road reservation and we're doing a survey to, uh, uh, of the road reservation. So, uh, and, that's, and, and that, uh, that was on September 5th, she sent me that. Back on that same day, on September the 10th, I sent a second email and I itemized the questions that I wanted answered. But well, as of September the 10th, I had no uh, no response from, uh, or up until October the 2nd to the next council meeting, I had no response. So I decided to attend the next council meeting on October the 2nd. At that time, I explained to the mayor all the situation and all that. And she said, uh, one of the things she said, I'm sorry for, she said, I can't give it a letter. She said, because, you know, I said, well, that's fine. I said, as long as you know you give me an answer to what uh, I'm looking for. So they said they will respond back to me uh, tomorrow. So next day I got a letter from the chief administrative officer uh, explaining to me uh, that basically uh, uh, they, were, that they said this is like a civil matter. Uh, they, would, they, they strongly advised me not to come to the town office anymore uh, with these issues. If you need to do anything, you need to uh, email either herself or the director. And they also told me not to contact any more of the council members. And I'm thinking to myself, council members are elected by, you know, people, and they work for the people. Why would a town, want to, you know, why can't I access a councillor if they're willing to assist me in this matter? Well,
1: who said you can't? So who told you not to come? To the meetings. Uh,
14: they, the chief, uh, well, they told me not. Members did not come to the meeting. They told me that I could not uh, come to the office and speak to any employees, or not to contact any council members. That as, a, as an email I got from the chief administrative officer yesterday.
1: Well, I'm not so sure that that person's in a position of authority to tell you what you can and cannot do, uh, free country. I wouldn't hesitate in emailing Mayor MacDonald directly or anybody else. If I had a problem that was a municipal problem, I need municipal guidance on it, I would contact a councillor or the mayor, whoever I saw fit, unless there's some something I'm not understanding here.
14: Yeah, and that's my thoughts for it also, like I said. But, you know, I mean, they've sort of taken the approach, uh, like I said, that, you know, this is a civil matter, when this is not even my land. It's in front of my land. So, yeah, you know, where do, where do I turn with this, like, you know what I mean? With the town, the town is not willing to help.
1: So which is it? There's the counselors willing to help, but the chief administrative officer stepped in, or?
14: Uh, yes, basically, like, when I, when I brought it up to, to, to the mayor, like I said, and basically I got, a, I got a, an email back saying that basically the only one I should be communicating with is basically her and also uh, the director of that department. I shouldn't be contacting anyone else, and it should be done through email.
1: Well, I'd email the person back. I would CC the mayor and me and see what kind of response you get. So I can use your email address and see, well, okay, that's what I'll do. Yeah, so I'd reply to that chief administrative officer. There might be more to this than I'm understanding, but I'd simply write back and say, uh, and I'd CC Mayor MacDonald and CC me, and I'd just be curious to hear what kind of reaction you get because you were told to use email, so use email and see where it goes from there. All right, sounds good. Let me know. All right, thank you, Patty. Appreciate Thanks, Terry. Your call. All the best. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's a strange one. I mean, for starters, you can't you can't do that to the ditch anyway, right? I mean, it's not it, it's not. Anybody's personal property it's municipal property has to be maintained and dealt with and authorized. any adjustment or manipulation of those things is not anyone's just personal business. You know, you wake up one morning, and think you want to damn the ditch out front. Anyway, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, Shane's there to talk about cardiac care. Mary wants to talk about the weather forecast. What does that mean? We'll find out. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number six. Uh, good morning, Shane. You're on the air.
15: Hello, Patty. How Hi. are you? Okay. How you doing? Not so bad, I guess. Oh, uh,
1: one second, Shane. I don't want to interrupt, but this just popped in front of my eye. This is a moose warning. One big bull moose near Soldiers Pan, and a couple of more moose, a couple of climbers east of Avondale. Access sorry to interrupt, but keep your moose eyes open to the motoring public. Go ahead, Shane.
15: Yeah, no, that's an important one. Absolutely, by all means, interrupt for that. Um, I just uh, wanted to talk about the cardiac care unit over at the health science, and uh, but I do feel obliged to say this. What I'm about to say does not include the staff that are there present and i feel obliged to give them a bouquet so to speak like they're they're great so what i'm about to say is more of a structural problem i suspect um my uncle had a heart attack there on friday and he's been unconscious and seizing ever since which means we're on day six uh We've been told by the cardiologist, it's imperative that the neurology team reviews the brain scans. But the neurology team is spoken of in the hypothetical. They they still haven't appeared on the cardiac care unit at all, as we're going into day six now. And now, the wife of this man is being told she's gonna have to start making some decisions. Meaning, you know, unplug kind of thing. Do not Um, resuscitate. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, but but there's no neurology team yet. Oh, man. Right? So, I mean, like, we've been told since day one that we can't really make decisions until the neurology team tells us about the brain function. And we got the scans done, the EKG CAT scans, the whole nine yards. But there's nothing from a neurology team. They're, They're a hypothetical right now.
1: So, I mean, when we talk about triage, someone already told me this morning that their neurologist told them that uh, neurology has a 4,000-person wait list, but we always prioritize emergencies. And this certainly sounds like the epitome of an emergency. Do they give you any idea as to why no neurology team has been present as of yet? Is there something going on that can help you have a better understanding? Because information is helpful. It doesn't doesn't, uh, do away with your worry and anxiety, but it'd be helpful to know what's going on.
15: Yeah, it's helpful to know what path you want to take. Um there's there's been no real reason. I mean the the, the obvious answer is the backup and short staff and then you you that. And and somebody even brought up that, you know, Monday was a holiday. Um for I I don't know why that applies to healthcare, but somebody brought that up in the in the waiting room. Um it, it they're 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 bogged down. There's there's no way these people can keep up with work coming in and, and trying to prioritize there might have been seven other emergencies just like my uncles that they were dealing with right They're like I, I don't know possibly and i and, and i and i'm saying i don't know because these people still haven't said anything or showed up so like these are a, a hypothetical team as far as i'm concerned
1: boy oh boy i mean the healthcare stories I so hear now
15: we're now we're looking at you know unplugging them and seeing if he dies or lives But we still haven't talked to a neurology team to even know what his brain function is. And this man has... So if you're from anyone who's familiar with the main arteries in your heart, he had a 100% blockage in one, a 90% blockage in the other, and a 70% blockage in the other. This is his first heart attack. He's healthy as a horse. He gets a yearly physical because he's a chief mate on a boat. Now he's unconscious and seizing the whole time He's he's had over a dozen seizures and no neurology teams. And and, and I'm stressing, like, the cardiologists and the nurses on the floor, amazing. Whatever they're getting, it's not enough. I can promise you that. And And I don't want to speak ill of those people there. They've been fantastic.
1: Have you tried uh, to be in direct contact with the, the director of cardiac care, which is Dr. Sean Connors, or if you have been in direct contact with the chief of neurology to see if he can't get some actual information here?
15: I've I've tried. some. it's it's not like if it was you know my wife or even my mother or father, I would have a more direct role in this. There's there's a his wife is the main. Um, point of contact. Yeah, so. next to the kid. Yeah, fair enough. Right. So I'm I'm trying my best to, to you know, p- direct her if, to whatever. But I mean, it's up to her to have these conversations right then I mean, there's only so much i can do with that
1: and of course most of the staff on the floor they're not in charge right they're not they're just no. the messenger they can only do what the the, uh, the is afforded to them so if they knew what was going on with neurology they probably tell you but they probably don't know what's going on so i would go right to the top here to be honest i mean you can have access to uh, uh, the directors of these different teams whether it be sean connors in cardiac care or i'm not sure who the chief of neurology is but they should be able to give someone an answer so so i would encourage yeah. a very worried stressed out wife to just take that opportunity maybe you can help walk her through it and see if you can't get some answers because the, the working staff on the floor they probably don't know
15: yeah i'd like to reiterate that and i, I know i said it and you, you said it but like the, the the guys and gals on that floor amazing they've been doing great work they're i don't want to speak ill of them at all cardiologists and the nurses fantastic and they don't know honestly they 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 don't even leave the floor. These people are on twelve hour shifts and they barely get a, a piss break to leave the, to leave the floor. So like it's not they don't know what's going on. Uh, they're sending information and they're receiving information back when it comes, and that's all. So yeah, I, I will take your advice. I will uh, I will try to guide her towards the maybe the director of cardiology and maybe find out the director for neurology as well.
1: I should be able to find that very, very quickly. I do know Dr. Sean Connors is the, uh, the chief of the cardiac care, so yeah. maybe he can help connect you with neurology. Maybe someone can help connect the dots, get you some information, because even if it's not what you want to hear, at least you'll know.
15: Yeah, I, I, well, I want it, good or bad. We want the news, right? we got to know how to move forward. 100%, of course. Well, I appreciate your time, Patty, and uh, I'll definitely reach out to Dr. Sean Connors for sure.
1: And let me know what goes on, will you, Shane?
15: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Appreciate this. Good luck.
15: Cheers. Sure, thank you. Take care. Bye bye.
1: Look, I mean, and I think that's a very common reference, is, you know, like Shane started off right away. To clarify or to qualify, the staff are terrific. And very likely they absolutely are. But they probably don't know the actual access to or timelines associated with a different department or a neurologist or a cardiac surgeon or a cardiologist because. Different level of healthcare worker or different healthcare professionals, they don't all know exactly what's going on for wait times or who knows what or how many emergencies are being dealt with, what the triage looks like, what the timelines might be. So, it's never a bad idea to try if you're desperate for the info, which they obviously are. Here we are a week later, and the man's still unconscious, no idea of brain function. When big decisions are in the are in the offing, then information's key. Imagine having to face a decision about taking someone off of life support or doing that resuscitate or something like that without knowing everything and the prognosis for what that man's future looks like and what the prognosis for timelines look like. You can't possibly make that type of decision. How could you? Let's check on. Uh, Mary, you stay right there. I don't want to give you short shrift, so we're going to take a break for the news and come back to speak to Mary Tucker. First round Twitter... We're VOCM open line you know what to do can follow us there I think I misread one of the notes that came in uh, David sent a tweet said I missed Diane's point Diane was talking about the fact that her healthcare professional, or pardon me her home care worker died not really sure about the circumstances surrounding it whether she was sent home a second time from hospital or what why not David says I missed Diane's point maybe I did she says women aren't receiving the same quality of care they're being dismissed I don't know if that's true or not but certainly if there's I don't know why that would be the case, but if that's something that people are thinking and feeling far be for me to say, well, no, you're wrong, because if that's your own personal experience and that's your takeaway, fair ball. And David, maybe I did miss your point, and if so, I apologize. Let's take a break. Mary's uh, right there to talk about the weather forecast. John uh, wants to talk about ADHD. I did mention off the top there's been a real surge in the number of adults that are being diagnosed with ADHD into their 40s and into their 50s and the amount of pharmaceuticals used to treat it. That so say the doctors that are quoted in the news story is a double edged sword we'll see what John has to say and Mike wants to talk about the school cafeteria don't go away your voice in Newfoundland
0: and Labrador's biggest conversation
7: if you want to know what's happening in your province tune in to open line every day
0: have your say weekday morning starting at 9am on open
1: line with Patty Daly on your VOCM welcome back to the show Uh, let's go to Mary on line number one Mary you're on the air
6: thank you patty um i'm on the northern peninsula east side and when the weather is given it's given west coast northern peninsula which only goes up as far as port saunders we don't get involved in the northern peninsula east weather at all and i'm wondering why
1: oh i, I really wouldn't know uh, have you asked any of the local meteorologists how come you're not included in an accurate forecast for your area
6: No, I don't think we have any in this area.
1: Well, I suppose, you know, whether it be the Eddie Shears of the world or the Ashley Bratwiler of the world, how they would be able to fill you in, I suppose, how they approach giving the forecast. I wouldn't be able to answer because I don't know how they do what they do.
6: Yeah, but I, like I'm not talking about on TV. I'm talking about on the radio.
1: Oh, well, we get our information directly from the Gander Weather Office. Uh, so what I can do is I can put it in the ear of the newsroom. Uh, they're they're probably listening to this call right now. So maybe they can follow up with the Gander Weather Office to see if we can't include your region when we give the radio weather forecast here.
6: Well, it would certainly be appreciated. I'll tell you that because like when they when they say West Coast Northern uh, Northern Peninsula 20 degrees tomorrow, <laughs> well that's not us.
1: So who are you then?
6: We're we're the east coast of the northern peninsula. We're okay. a separate division.
1: So, given the geographical width of the northern peninsula, wouldn't saying the weather on the northern peninsula will be this or that is it, it, not accurate? And how are you different, so to speak?
6: Well, from like from the, like I'm saying, from the west coast to the northern peninsula it goes as far as Port Saunders. That's where that part of the northern peninsula ends. Then. From coming up through the Straits, that's that's the Eddie's Cove and and, uh, that area. That's Northern Peninsula East. We're on the eastern side of the Northern Peninsula.
1: Okay, I just saw Brian Mador walk past my vision here, the window in my booth into the newsroom. So I will put this in their ear and see if they can address it on your behalf because I have nothing really to do with that, but I will put it in their ear for you.
6: I certainly appreciate it.
1: No problem, Mary.
6: And you, you have a great day.
1: The very same to you. How's the weather?
6: Thank you. Uh, cool, but no snow yet. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> Fantastic. Not yet. We, we've had a bit of frost. We've had had a couple of mornings where woke up and the, the roofs were a bit white. So uh, bring flowers in at night.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's coming. It's only a matter of time. That's the natural progression, isn't it? Uh, Mary, appreciate the time. I will plant this in the ears of those in the newsroom, and uh, stay in touch.
6: Okay, thanks a million. I appreciate the time. Anytime. Have a good day. You too. Mm,
1: bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number two. John, you're on the air.
16: Hey, buddy, how are you?
1: Doing okay. How about you?
16: Uh, good. Uh, I just wanted to bring up the ADHD uh, here in the province. So my son is seven years old. Mm-hmm. And the teachers in the school said that he had ADHD. So I said, "Okay, fine." So I went to my doctor, and he put in a referral to get, uh, I guess, assessed by a by psychologist. And they told me that would be three years. Yikes! So I said, "Well, geez," I said, "You know, that's a bit long to be wait for something that like that." So I, th- I, you know, I looked around, and I found out I could pay out of my own pocket for eighteen hundred dollars for a private assessment. Fair enough. So I went paid for the private assessment, came back. Yes, he did have ADHD. He was moderate. I was like, okay, cool. That's what the teacher thought. So I go to my doctor and I hand him in this referral, and he tells me that he doesn't deal with children in ADHD, and there's a reason that there's pediatrician. So I said, okay, fair enough. He said, I'll put you on the referral list. So I said, no problem. So I call and see how long. They told me a year and a half, Patty. This was last June or March or something. So I said that was fine. So I called them uh, a week ago and asked, like, when my appointment is in October. They told me another year, Patty. So, like, when am I supposed to get in to get my child, you know, the help that he needs in order to succeed in school?
1: Excellent question. So, I mean, even when we see assessments required for whether or not you're on the autism spectrum or have ADHD or any of these other issues, it's remarkable to me that we know that early intervention is the key, and yet we've got the wait times extensive, as, as you described. So just so I'm clear, did you say there's also an 18-month wait list for a private offer at the cost of
16: $1,800? Well, so the psychologist part of it was like a two- to three-year wait. Yep. man So I couldn't wait that because the teacher said, you know, like, he's having trouble sitting down and focusing and all that stuff, I said, fine. So me and my wife, luckily, we both have medical, and we looked around, and we found a awesome place called mindful matters who does psychological assessments and they do it for about eighteen hundred dollars and we had to pay for that out of our own pocket if we had to wait a two or three years sure he, patty he he'd be that far behind in school and stuff you know like uh, who can wait that lot
1: well, i guess the short answer to that question is nobody right and so how I is think- school going
16: well, he's, he's regressed from last year. He's getting a little bit worse, the teacher said, like his behavior. He's smart. Academically, he's on par. But his behavior-wise, he got the impulsivity and the inattentiveness. So he has an issue with, like, focusing and sitting down. And, and like she said, it's getting worse this year. So it would have been, if I never had medical, let's put this in perspective. It would have been a three-year wait list just to get a diagnosis and then another year and a half to two years to get him the medication and the help that he needs. So by that point, he was diagnosed in grade one, he'd be in grade six. So how far behind in his you know, his learning and social uh, abilities would he be behind? Because because our healthcare can't get children in.
1: And at some point, there'd be uh, an amount of learning loss that would be virtually impossible to overcome. So this is a very good question. I don't know how common that is or if there's anyone else that is experiencing, you know, whether it be a a better option for you or a different path you can take, but it sounds like an extraordinarily long time to possibly see a child left behind simply waiting to see a psychologist. It's not great.
16: Well, well, I'll just add on top of this. So I got, I was calling around, you know, just trying to find somebody. And God loved nurse practitioners. I found one at Body Quest who was super supportive and said that she would take them on as a as a patient and help them with the medication, which we're going to start shortly. But that's seventy five dollars a session, like to go in and see a nurse practitioner. And our medical doesn't cover the medical costs from the nurse practitioner. I have to pay for that out of my own pocket. But meanwhile, I can't get in to see a specialist, or get in to see a psychologist, or a uh, uh, a doctor through our own health care. So Those costing me money to get my son help, and our medical won't cover it.
1: John, keep me in the loop. Let me know how this bra uh, plays out.
16: I will for sure, buddy. Good luck. All right. Thanks, buddy.
1: You're welcome, John. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. And, uh, sorry. And, you know, I guess there's maybe some additional strains on the numbers of psychologists working, you know, even related to the fact we were talking about adults uh, being diagnosed with uh, ADHD. This one simply comes from the province of B.C. The adults has increased by an annual compounded rate of 17% since 2004 from one user of these uh, drugs, uh, medications associated with ADHD, one user per 1,000 adults to 16.5 users per 1,000 adults by 2022. So something's changing. You just say line five, Dave. Okay, let's go to line number five. Jocelyn, you're on the air.
17: Hey, Patty, how you doing? Grant, how you doing? Not too bad at all. I was getting kind of late in the morning for me, but hey. Okay. The clicker. I want to call you Clicker because you know you taught me how hey, well, I like clicking sound bees on the phone. The Kids Eat Smart program, Pally? Patty. Patty. Yeah. Clicker. Um, I have a challenge. What, what's the clicker business? What's the clicker business? Sorry. <laughs> remember the last time I was talking to you I said all you do is click and you did, you said maybe just, just hang on you said and you started uh, dink dink dinking on the computer and it sounded just like what the clicking sound was on the radio or on the TV and I said that's the, it exactly so I said you got a new name now clicker
1: okay fair <laughs> enough I suppose I'll take it I've been called worse <laughs> what
17: do you want to talk <laughs> I've been about this morning worse. But the Kids Eat Smart program Mm -hmm. is coming up again. Now, they're in need for sure, and the number of kids have have increased. I'm putting a challenge out there for the $20 donation to add on, say, 20 cents to the $20 donation. Or if it's two because it's $20, then go $22. Or like I done, Patty, $22 and 22 cents. Make it all twos.
1: Why not? More the merrier.
17: Now, I want to say hello to Chief Simeon Chekhovich because it was so good to hear him. And he's asking for help. He sounds so good. Last time I was on the radio, he didn't sound too well. But he sounds really good right now. And I want to give him some piece of advice to say, hold on to that Bible. Hold it in your hand. And anybody needs any help, say we have the help right here in my hand. You should read everything, because Jesus said, I've told you everything, haven't you read it? That's in Mark 13.
1: Okay, yeah, it might work work for some, fair enough, but uh, challenge accepted to make a donation to Kids Eat Smart, which me and my wife do annually anyway. Uh, Jocelyn, take good care, you want me to rip off a few clicks for you before we go?
17: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, can I tell you a phone number for this uh, free? Uh, you don't get much free these days. But write down this phone number, one eight hundred six four three four six four five 643 4645 to get a free CD about the Mark of the Beast. Because you should know about the Mark of the Beast. Yeah. And say hello also to Elizabeth... And I can understand every word you say, Elizabeth, you keep on talking and stand up for what you believe in for
1: sure. 100%. She's always welcome. Thanks, Jocelyn. Oh, my
17: gosh, yes. She's sweetheart. Say hello to Noreen Corrine, too. I think about her every time I hear Elizabeth, too.
1: Yeah, I hear from Noreen Corrine uh, fairly often on email, as a matter of fact.
17: My gosh, yes. I tried to nominate her for the Women of the Year with the St. John's crowd. But they said no. She has to be from St. John's in order to get the award.
18: That's true. Yep.
17: Yes. So
1: off I go, Jocelyn. You you take good care of yourself.
17: Yes, you take care too. Okay.
1: Do you call me just Clicker or Clicker Daily?
17: <laughs> clicker.
1: Clicker. Okay. Fair enough.
17: Fair enough. Well, yes. Uh, keep uh, on. Keep on going. Yes.
1: Will do. Stay in touch. Keep on clicking. Okay. Okay. Bye, Jocelyn. Bye. Oops. Sorry. That was quick. Uh, okay. Quick, John. Line one. John, you're on the air.
19: Paddy, it's John here. Uh-huh. Uh huh. My uh, my partner just told me you were on the line with a gentleman about the uh, nurse practitioners. Uh, okay. And Body Quest. Well, I had to. I I lost my doctor a year and a half ago, and the same thing happened to me. I do go out to Body Quest. I do have to pay every visit. My own personal insurance, <laughs> business insurance, doesn't cover it. Unless I was referred by a doctor, and of course, I couldn't get referred by a doctor because I had no doctor. But every time I go, I do have to pay, and MCP does not cover it. I was, and so that's on the go now for me, about a year and a half. So, and my insurance doesn't cover it, MCP doesn't cover it.
1: Okay, so how? what's that in reference to any conversation I might have had about nurse practitioners or LPNs I, or what have you? I'm sorry?
19: Didn't a gentleman, wasn't there just, just a gentleman on the line talking about his son with ADTT? or a-
1: ADHD, yeah, trying to see a psychologist for a diagnosis.
19: Yeah, and anyway, he was directed to, uh, I think he was said he went to Body BodyQuest for some... Yeah, the LPN is
1: helping him with he medication scared. and stuff. Yeah, that's right.
19: Yeah, yeah well, he, that's what the, those nurse practitioners can order tests and x-rays and do prescriptions, mm-hmm. but they are not covered under the provincial... MCP, and and in most cases your private insurance doesn't cover it. You're out of pocket the whole time that this happens.
1: Uh, okay, and fair enough. And we know that to be true. Like the province has said they can set up their own private shop, but they'll be charging a fee for service. When the the obvious question is, if they're providing health care and we have health care coverage, why is it that they're left out? I can go see a doctor get a very similar treatment or a prescription written. Uh, that gets covered by MCP, but the LPNs don't, don't. And we've never understood that why that is the way it is. I suppose it all comes back to the almighty dollar, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we're trying to offer more health care access to people here in the province?
19: Yeah, well, I don't know about the LPNs, but we're talking nurse practitioners. Nurse
1: practitioners, practitioner. sorry, fair enough.
19: Which do have a lot more training in that. And I, I was talking to Tim Power there back in April before I went on holidays about this same situation because right now RNs, RNs can rate prescriptions, as can the pharmacy people rate prescriptions. And when a pharmacist rates for prescriptions, right now they can bill mcp for their additional work but nurse practitioners cannot unless they're in a in a registered department of health and community services government-run establishment so go figure that yet rns can and so can pharmacists and i know the pharmacists can get reimbursed
1: i appreciate the information john you get good service at body quest
19: Oh, yes, most definitely. Terrific. I've been in there, and I mean, my nurse reti- my uh, doctor retired. I knew nothing about it, so I'm one of those ones. that, And I did register with the other place on Ropewalk Walk Lane, and I got back, I got a call back maybe six months later telling me I was on a three-month waiting period, and then they called me again a couple of months ago. They said, oh, yeah, we can put you in to see a doctor in three months. Yet, if I want to... I can call Body Quest, and I could possibly get in early next week.
1: Stay in touch. Hope good luck is. with it. Uh,
19: I, yeah, I got to pay. I got to pay for my health care now. Yet I pay good property, good taxes. I I pay a hell of a lot of, of uh, income tax and other taxes, and yet I got to pay for my health insurance or pay for my health visits.
3: <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it sounds to me like uh, I think there's a legitimate argument to be that this is in contravention of the Canada Health Act. You know, there's oh, yeah, even well, people griping about paying for parking at the health sciences, oh, yeah. which they think is also in contravention. But uh, anything else quickly, John, before I have to go?
19: No, other than that, so like I said, uh, uh, that's the information that you do have to pay for nurse practitioners if they're not in the healthcare system in their brick and mortar buildings, because I don't know what they're doing out around the bay. Does that mean? Every place, every nurse practitioner, they got to charge their customers. I don't know. But it's something I've, I've been working on it for a couple of months, and it, I'm getting no headway with it either. But thanks, Betty, for listening.
1: Anytime. Thanks, John. Thank you. All Bye-bye. right, take care. Bye-bye. All right, final break of the morning. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. final word this morning goes to line number four. Good morning, Angus. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you? Okay, thanks. How about you?
18: All right. All uh... right. I have an idea with this issue on uh, housing and rental uh, crisis we're facing.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Go ahead.
18: I know uh, I'm not sure who would be, what level of government would be responsible for this idea, but I think a lot of it would have to do with uh, private owners. I know that riding the buses, I see a lot of sheds or... Uh, Garages, they're huge. I think they can be modified to like one person, two person, small family rentals.
1: I'm sorry, can you start that point again? What should be modified?
18: Uh, the sheds and garages around town that people own. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I think like there are a lot, a lot of large garages or just sheds that. The homeowners can uh, modify to use as rentals.
1: Yeah, of course, that's possible. You have to go through all the building code stuff and permits uh, from the yeah, city, for instance.
18: Definitely. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, all levels of government we have should look, look into this idea because why build big old building when you can solve this problem with? sheds and garages.
1: Well, I suppose that would also require the people who own them to put them forward for that purpose.
18: Exactly. And uh, maybe whatever level government takes these on can add some kind of incentive to help the people who want to modify or would like to modify their shed for rental.
1: Yeah, and I, I suppose if someone has a garage or a shed, they probably use it as a garage or a shed, but there's a lot of hoops to jump through to do something like that. It's not to say it's impossible, but it's, yeah. I mean, and yep. Dave just said in my ear, like tiny homes. I, I think we have to utilize everything, right? Whether it be double wide trailers, modular homes, tiny homes, two apartment, uh, uh, single family dwellings, all these types of things. It's going to take everything. There's not going to be yeah. a one solution to this very complicated and growing well, you know, concern.
18: No, but uh, like I can say this idea I think would apply if whatever level government gets involved with uh, the municipalities then we wouldn't have people parking up by confederation buildings camping
1: yeah that, that site of a mini so called tent city right there on the parkway across the street from the seat of government is pretty it's gonna amazing
18: grow. it's going to go until this solution is solved and like, I'm offering this simple solution. Maybe somebody can take about city hall, provincial government, federal government, residents, organizations. Like, it takes community to help the community.
1: It's going to take all hands pulling the rope in the same direction. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you've had the last word, Angus. Would you like to say anything else?
18: Um, on the issue of um, our health care, why, like, our... Premier is a doctor. What, why, why can't he solve this problem that we're facing? That's
1: my last question. A million dollar question. I don't think anybody's able to solve it on their own. We have a competition now that's growing between provinces competing for the same professionals. It's not helpful and it's, no, it's the end is nowhere in sight either because no. when Saskatchewan is here trying to bring doctors or nurses or whoever to their province, you know, we're really just entering into a bidding war here, and that is not going to solve the problem nationally. It simply will not. Angus, you've had the last word. We've run out of time, but I appreciate the call.
18: Thank you very much. Have a good day.
1: You too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, that was indeed the last word. But we will pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patti Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.